T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. This hour is brought to you by Menards. Save big money at Menards. The Bernstein and Holmes Show. What's wrong with you? Why is your bagel all torn up? I tore it up because I was going to eat it in pieces. Okay. Just interesting. That's not how I would ordinarily do it. It's just kind of bothering me. Sorry, my, well, my, my, it's my bagel. My OC, so. I know, but my OCD trait is not doing well at the moment. I just want you to stop saying odd. I'm okay with food for the next while. Both Friday night and Saturday night, I had two dinners. What about breakfast? We've already had it. We've had one, yes. What about second breakfast? All right, Lawrence, air it out. Is there anything that bothers you about Dan's <laughs> pork rind eating habits? No. I don't have any. I picture Tribune training, like, doing the crawl under barbed wire. They, they have to go up and over the, all the obstacles. This is what it's like to book an airplane flight. Gentlemen, you've signed up for Tribune training. Many of you will not make it through. Bernstein is all facts and all gas. Hey, man, you got to get it out. <laughs> not, the, not that talent. Right. Bernstein and Holt. Middays 10 a.m. till 2 on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Happy Tuesday. Hope everything is lovely in your world. We are broadcasting live from the Hyundai Studios, brought to you by your local Hyundai dealers. We are Bernstein and Holmes, and we're on Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., Wednesdays with Layla Rahimi, of course, as you know. Ray Diaz is our executive producer. Adam Sudzinski's here. Brandon Fryer, Connor O'Donnell doing their things. This music that we now use to open the show since the beginning of the year makes me like want to dance with like Lee Merriweather. Well, what wouldn't? What is that song? Because yeah, there's a little, there's a, there's sort of a late '60s. I gotta, I gotta look vibe. up. Yeah, I gotta look up the name of it again. But it's, it's, it was from our library of music that is free copyright music. free. Yeah. 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 So I got, go I can't man. remember the name of it. Want to do the Batusi? Yeah, it would just be like, in, yeah, the, the big go-go boots, the Nancy Sinatra kind of thing. Yeah, Lee I like Ma- that. Lee Merriweather. Hell yeah. Yeah, any of the Catwomen. It's fine. Julie Newmar and Eartha and, Kitt. And the great Eartha Kitt, of course. <sighs> Some of the, inter- like a lot of old interviews with Eartha Kitt have been kind of popping back up on Instagram. My goodness. I don't know how. I don't know how these some of these dudes can stand it. And if we're counting Michelle Pfeiffer and Halle Berry, in, in pretty good list of cat, cat women, cat woman and, history, and uh, Anne Hathaway. Yeah. What's wrong with Anne Hathaway? She's great. I like her. I don't think that she's quite in that vibe of of Catwoman. She 
She's fine. I, I don't know. That, that, that's, that's against type. Tusi. I think. Yeah. So. Don't bring that up because Studs hates it. Hates what? He hates anything that has to do with, like, the Adam West Batman. It's an abomination of he a version of Batman. He doesn't understand it. It no, I understand what it's supposed to be, and that's not what Batman's supposed to be. Yes, it is. That's, no, it's not. That's the actual Batman. I'm Batman! I'm Batman! <laughs> that's, that's what it is. I'm Batman! <laughs> you never saw the episode, Suds, where him and the Joker had a surf-off? Oh, my God. Is it no, so I've never great. even seen that one either. Oh, it's <laughs> so great. Cesar Romero and Adam West running on the beach with surfboards. My favorite thing, by the now that I know that. Go, I- go find it because there's great, like, it actually will work on radio because Robin is doing, like, commentary. It's And it's so, like, inside surfer stuff, too. It's really, studs, I know, I know you hate it. I know you hate it. But no, you we're going gonna to make him like it. Just lean in. It's so at, great because it's he'll so ridiculous. But the, I understand what it is supposed I, to be. I, I don't think, that, I, oh, yeah, mean I have Zoe to like Kravitz. it. Forgot about Zoe, Zoe oh, Kravitz. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Zoe, yeah. Kravitz, Zoe Kravitz is a good cat woman. Yep. That's, that's, but the, what I loved, did you know that Cesar Romero refused to shave his mustache? <laughs> so the, the, the face paint... They, is, they just ignore the fact that the mustache, that they paint over it. Well, I get he, it. He wouldn't. He just, he would not get rid of it for that role. He was a, what, a, a joker in the streets, but a Caesar in the sheets? He's, he's Cesar Romero. <laughs> he said, no, 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 no. You're not uh, shaving this. No, no, no. This, you don't mess with this. You don't know who you're dealing with here. Because he was, he was that guy. You got you got to find the Joker and Batman surfing. It's it is so great. That's how they were going to solve this thing. They were going to have a surfing contest. Great point for the 847. Lee Merriweather was in Barnaby Jones and Don't Sleep on that Barnaby Jones theme song. Hey, 847, if you listen to Rockford Lightning Basketball, you knew I chose the Barnaby Jones theme song as the theme to Rockford Lightning Basketball on the radio because it sounded awesome and it, was, and it ended up being great. That was, I, I used that to, to lead you in. To your 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 big games with the lightning and the Sioux Falls Sky Force from Sioux Falls Arena. All I'm doing is the Batusi today. Yeah, that's it. Are. It's all right. Good. Find your intention. That's Light right. Your candle. Declare your intention, and yours is to do the Batusi. So here's what Bears fans aren't considering: we are living in an illogical binary discussion where. We seem to be saying that as as this city does in our we we retreat to our our tribal dens. Mm-hmm. We bang the drums and we light the fires and we do our cave paintings. Bang those drums slowly. And in one cave, we're we're scratching into the walls the pictures of a Bears team built around Justin Fields. And in the other cave, we're cave painting all the greatness of Caleb Williams because he's so clearly great. And and we presume that there's a right decision and a wrong decision. We presume no matter what happens, everybody will go back to their caves and grumble, grumble, grumble at one side of it saying, the bears did what we wanted them to do. And the other side saying, this is the wrong move. They're going to be wrong. They're going to be wrong. But you know what is most possible What's that, Dan? That 
both moves will be wrong. That either move would be wrong because the Bears are making it. I would like to expand that and say it's probable that most moves will be wrong because most teams get the quarterback position wrong. Right. Correct. Most teams get it wrong. Most most teams draft the wrong quarterback in the first round. The Bears get it spectacularly wrong. Even teams that have the first pick in the draft often get the quarterback position wrong. One could argue that the Justin Fields pick was one the Bears have gotten right. Mostly right. Mostly right because of their history. Yeah. So think about it, though, that... And people always say this: Had Patrick Mahomes gone to the Bears, would he? Ha- Do you really think that he would be Patrick Mahomes? It would be what we're seeing now. Because I don't think there's a chance in hell because of the the infrastructure, because of the Every, but see, the alignments. The only problem is that you know, like that sliding door, like that multiverse. There are so many other things that then happen because of it. That it's it's hard to track, but yes, on its face you go, would Patrick Mahomes still be Patrick Mahomes if he were a bear? No, and it's hard to believe that that would be the case. I'm confident in saying no. I understand your your confidence because the infrastructure doesn't seem to be in place to grow a quarterback, and we still don't know if that's the case. Like that that's that's why people can continue to believe that. Caleb Williams will overcome some of the deficit that has plagued the Bears as an organization. Now, it's possible that the Bears got it right, that they picked the right guy in Shane Waldron. He's picked the right offensive staff. That Whichever quarterback he's going to work with, he might be better suited to help that quarterback grow than what's happened before. But that's the problem. You would have thought, considering... What Matt Nagy's resume said, what his history was, that he was the perfect guy to work with a young quarterback and to bring that young quarterback along. And we saw in both cases a guy who's, if if we take his name off the resume, if we just offered you Matt Nagy's resume and said, this guy has worked under Andy Reid for years, this guy has helped in the development of Patrick Mahomes, and now he's going to be your head coach. That's why people were excited when he was hired here. Everything you just said still stands for him. He, this guy worked with Alex Smith, and look at what happened with Alex Smith. Proximity hire. Like, yeah. you, you would look at that and say, this makes sense. And then it makes sense in theory. In practice... He wasn't quite ready for that opportunity. Now, he might be again at some point because he's young enough to maybe learn from his mistakes and maybe he can go back to Kansas City and go, okay, this is what I got wrong when I was in Chicago. These are the types of mistakes that I made. Maybe he'll eventually end up being a better coach. That doesn't help the Bears. That only helps him. But but any time that we have these discussions – I do think that there there are these facts that are not in evidence for us. When we're looking at the Bears... Saying one one of these moves is the right move. 
where usually for the Bears, no matter what they do, is doomed to fail at that position. It, it's it's honestly one of the reasons that I keep bringing Jaden Daniels up because I'm I'm looking at the amount of games played for him in college, and I know that the body type isn't prototypical for what people want in the NFL, but I'm just like looking around and saying, is he the guy that five years from now we go, how did he end up being the second quarterback taken or the third quarterback taken? I don't think it's it's Penix. I just think there's too much wrong with him physically. But maybe it's Bo Nix. Like I, that's the problem. The problem is is that there've been there's so much inexact science into gr- finding and growing a quarterback. No one almost no one gets it right. I would say Andy Reid probably has the best track record of anybody. When it comes to different making different quarterbacks work, making it work, I can make it work with Donovan McNabb. I can make it work with Michael Vick. I can make it work with Alex Smith, and I can make it work with Patrick Mahomes. Some of these other dudes, they're lost. And the other part is, the other part that when it comes to Caleb Williams, I hope that he is prepared for what's going to be expected of him. Because what is expected of Caleb Williams now is that he has to lead that franchise. It's not just being... It's not just making the throws. He's got to be the guy. And replacing a really well-liked guy. A guy who's got all of that. Like, he's figured all of that stuff out. The other stuff on the field is a little bit more difficult of an ask for Justin. And it has to start there. But but you better have that other stuff. And there there are dueling questions about that. Like people have feelings on whether or not there's some people like Caleb is 100% got it. Look at what he did with his NIL money for his teammates at USC and other sports at USC. And then there are people like, I don't know if he's got it. It's that question we ask about Zach Levine. Do you want to be a superstar or do you want to be a champion? And where does one meet the other? Yep. These are very interesting things. A point here from Glenn who says that Batman Joker surf-off features Commissioner Gordon and Chief O'Hara attempting to go incognito amongst the surfers, referring to themselves as Buzzy and Duke. Chief O'Hara also at one point utters the phrase Kawabunga Bigora. It's it's great. It's a great scene. Studs needs to get on board with it. He, he will. We'll no, he won't. It's just like the koala thing. No, it's not. Nothing's like the koala thing. I don't know. I know he's the, the koala thing is a crusade. And to continue squaring the circle on stuff here, the name of the song in the open is There Was a Time in 144 BPM by Toby James. Okay. Okay. Off an album called Feed the Funk. Let's go. Nice. Feed it. Feed it. Feed your funk. Feed your funk. Seed I your lawn the, and feed your funk. I watched the Batman versus Joker and uh, surfing, and it is the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life, and I love it. Thank you. Yes. It's it's so bad it's good. Yes. Uh, we can maybe high noon or something. No, we can play just, that. no you never know oh. when you're going to hear it. Miss a little, miss a lot. You never know. You're going to turn it on. And Kenny, 
Owens from the Grange Park. I touch my nose. You say, what's your beef? What's your beef, Murph? No, it's not time yet. You touched your nose. No, I didn't, I didn't. That wasn't the one, though. No. I didn't. Don't know. What's you, your beef? No, why don't you take a, take a time out? Go to the lunchroom for a little bit. I only have a banana for lunch. No, no, no. I don't have time for lunch. Jive turkey. <laughs> what's your beef? You scratched a, your nose. got a jive turkey sandwich what? for you. It's funny that you didn't go to the fax machine this morning, yet you have a fax from Kenny Owens in LaGrange Park. I don't. It's very funny. Next up, we are going to revisit some Bears draft history. To speak to to this point. Of no matter what you do, it might be wrong. Yeah, we're going to speak to this point. I had a conversation last night with Josh Lucas, and it is I promise it is going to open some wounds. I promise that. And that's not our intent, but it'll give you an idea of what you're putting faith in and that sometimes even with the best intentions, things can go wrong. We'll explain next on The Score. Bernstein and Hope. Jason Goff is here in studio with us. We go from Zion Williamson, John Morant, to spinning on finely tailored suits. Hey, getting yelled at for dancing. On Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. The Bernstein and Holmes show at its finest. Yeah, that's what we do, Jay. That's what we're doing over here. So there's a lot of it. There's, you know, the player aspect in terms of the human being and the leadership and uh, their maturity, and that's the human part. And then there's the tape. And we'll go through the tape and we'll look at, you know, processing and accuracy and all of those things to make sure they're on point to feel the best. Uh, there are situations where you go to and you develop um, and you may uh, overcome some of the shortcomings that you had in college. Um, there's situations where it's the, you know, the group around you that elevates you um and the other thing too is like i would also you know have a little car like you got the sample size to be blown away like in the nfl like you got to stack year after year after year so um historically we'll look at those quarterbacks that have been able to be productive for a long period of time and kind of mirror that and compare that to some of the guys in the draft ryan poles it's all words right now we're we're spewing a lot of words out there everyone else is about this debate and ultimately right now they've got a lot of work to do a lot of of course difficult work to do before any decision is made regardless of the social media videos the team is putting out right now is time to amass to have many many people with one goal in mind, and that is to make this decision with as much information as possible. They posted a Jalen Johnson hype video yesterday. Does, do you think that means anything? Are they going to franchise tag him? No, it means they're going to give him a, a six-year deal. That's what it means. Yeah. At the top yeah. of the market, right? We have to presume because of video, right? I would just like to point out, because there have been people that still, like, even though you kind of explained what we were talking about in the first segment, that can't wait to jump into their tribe. They can't wait to, well, it's Caleb versus Justin. Like, okay, if that's what you want to do, cool. But even Justin is part of the conversation of, are you getting the right quarterback when you take quarterbacks in the first round? It's an art, and it's an art that's really hard to, to pinpoint with science. Everyone thinks that they have the right formula for figuring out if a quarterback is going to work. And more often than not, even with first-round picks, even with one-of-one picks, 
they get it wrong because these are humans and they're fallible. And these are humans that are playing quarterback too. And you don't know all the stuff that you don't know. So you try to put together a process that's going to allow you to figure out which quarterback is going to work. This is what I was fascinated by. Last night, I hosted football night in Chicago. Usually Monday is my night. Josh Lucas was in. And we had a long conversation about this specifically. So, like I said, this is going to open some wounds of Bears fans when you hear this. This is a front office executive. This is a guy that was in the room helping to make the choices. And even now, he looks back on it and says, yeah, perhaps we found the guy that we liked too quickly and didn't move off of him. Back in 2017, you know, the GM, GM and myself were in line with who we thought the top quarterback in the draft was, obviously with, with Mitch. And, you know, all the way up until the combine, almost waiting for someone else in the building to strike passion for Deshaun Watson, to strike passion for Patrick Mahomes. And we never got anyone from, uh, you know, whether it was the coaching staff, whether it was uh, our scouts and personnel department, really fall in love with one of the other quarterbacks. So for us, and at the time, as, as part of the decision-making, um, you know, operation, I loved it. You know, I, I thought, you know, we, we have conviction on this guy. He's our guy. There's no, but there's not a lot of noise in the building um, that's going to look the other way. That's going to um, question our decision. Um, so, f- you know, looking back at it, really at the combine, I think we knew who we were going to take um, as long as he was available when when our pick came up. Now, there's some stuff in there. There's a lot in there. We know that that Ryan Pace. There was a video that the Bears put out of Ryan Pace after the pick was made, where he's going around the room. Josh is one of the people in the room where he's saying, you had conviction on this pick, you had conviction on this pick, you had conviction on this pick. There may have been someone. There may have been an area scout or someone in the college scouting realm in that office that was like, I think that Mahomes is better. But is is that person going to have the courage to speak up in that room and stand on the chair and say, you're all wrong. Because you don't want to lose your nice job of working for an NFL team. We got to keep our phony baloney jobs. Harumph, harumph, harumph. I have conviction. I have conviction. We all have conviction. We're all going to be convicted. These, these are the types of things that you have to keep in mind. That there may have been a lone wolf or several people in that front office that were like, no, about all of this. Maybe you should take the other guy, or maybe you should take the other guy, or maybe you should take none of the guys, and we should do something else. You want to have that kind of robust discussion, and for all of the maniacal stories that we heard from Jerry Jones and the Cowboys, I mean, going back to that whole Russell Maryland story where Jerry, I forgot who he wanted to take, and Jimmy, like, no, and he wrote Russell Maryland on the card and handed it in, you know, that kind of thing, where it sounds insane, but it's it's no crazier 
than a room full of people lining up like iron filings to a magnet because it's safe. Yep. So we talked about that. Then I said, okay, how how did what happened in 2017 then, because Josh was still there for Justin Fields, how did it inform the way that you guys went about finding Justin Fields? More collaborative, um, weighted. That decision on Justin Fields came down to the day of the draft. Um, uh, head coach, uh, being an offensive head coach at the time with Coach Nagy, extremely involved in that decision. Um, so I think taking in the data points all the way up until the end of the draft, um, a more comprehensive uh, uh, process, I would say, allowed us, um, I, I thought, I was very proud on how, you know, I thought we improved on the process and we took who I think was the best quarterback available when we selected. Um, the situation ended up being very similar. We knew Trevor Lawrence was going one. We knew the Jets were taking Wilson. Trey Lance, for us, was not a first-round quarterback, so he wasn't in the discussion. So Mac Jones, Justin Fields, very close opinions, grades. Uh, it, it was every other day, I, I think we might take Mac, I think we might take Justin, and it literally came down ultimately to when you look at the big picture, the grades were stronger throughout the building on Justin's side than they were for Mac, and I think that's ultimately you know how we came to the final decision to take Justin. Okay, so it looks like their process improved, but think about that for a second. Like this, this is where I kind of want to get people's minds at. Even with an what I would consider to be an improved process is broken down by Josh, they still were sitting there going. Justin Fields or Mac Jones. Right. Well, that, that already is a failure. That means you, you screwed something up. The fact that, like, now, now with some NFL data, which one of those quarterbacks would you rather have starting a game right. for you? There's, there's a definitive answer to that. An and, and, it, and, it's, and it's not close. Right. But in the draft process, we were debating between Mac Jones and Justin Fields. We knew that that the Jets were going to <laughs> take Zach Wilson. Do you remember what was going on with the Zach Wilson stuff? Like, it, it infuriates me, which is a topic we'll get into around noon. People were going gaga over him doing a reverse rollout throw routes on air. Oh, my God, did you see that? He rolled out. Not to make this about Justin. Justin did that in a game. He did that in the Clemson game with people trying to kill him. Other quarterbacks have done that motion in a game. But I was like, well, look at his athleticism. Look look at Zach Wilson's athleticism. How many quarterbacks can do that around the league? A lot. I would say more than half can do that thing, especially routes on air. I would say most college quarterbacks, if not all, can do that exact same drill the way that Zach Wilson did it and complete the pass routes on air. You're not playing routes on air. 
You're playing defenders who are trying to kill you. There will be another quarterback this year. We don't know who it's going to be, but there is going to be somebody who rises for no reason. There's going to be somebody who does something that because he's different or because there is some whisper campaign going on that he's going to find himself taken in the top 10. And you're like, wow, we didn't see that coming. Whether it's Will Levis or Anthony Richardson or anybody else who all said, well, you know, you, this this guy is, is rocketing up draft boards. Has he played a game since? No. Has I, he done anything? Not really. I always wonder if it's better to... Like, in the case of Anthony Richardson last year, if you're better off taking the risk with traits. But this is what I mean about the inexact science of it. Because, honestly, and I am not a professional draft evaluator. I look at Drake May and I'm like, sure, he looks the part. If you're building a quarterback, it kind of looks like that. And then I'm watching him in big games. I'm like, huh, interesting choice. That that he is the consensus. He had been the, the consensus number two quarterback taken in the draft. I I I have trouble getting the Caleb Williams Notre Dame performance out of my head. As you should. And I tuned in for that. Like, okay, you got your Heisman last year. Here you go. You're right here in front of me. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to watch and. Any time now, kid. Any time now. Let's see it. Settle down. Take a deep breath. Let the game come to you. Now, th- there are other factors, too. And, and that's what has to kind of go into the equation. That team that Caleb Williams played on was trash. Yep. He didn't have enough weapons on offense, although he had some. And that defense, every week, it was like pulling teeth. So I'm sure that there was a feeling amongst Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley of we got to make something happen, baby. We got to, we got to outscore these dudes every week. We got to take some chances out here. And then he met an NFL looking defense and was like, Oh bleep. Well, I guess we'll just have to pack this up and try again. There's all of this stuff. And as much as we rely on it, as much as we, we, the reason I wanted to play the Josh Lucas thing, is that it shows we have good intentions. We want to trying to get it right. We want to find a quarterback for the Bears, but is your process clean? More than that, is whatever decision you make going to be supported by a properly structured organization that is there to maximize what you have? based on your president, your general manager, your head coach, and on down. Is it aligned? Well, specifically answer, head coach, offense coordinator, and quarterback coach. And the answer And quarterback room. The answer now is no. It's a, For the Bears, at the moment, the answer is still a resounding no. Their organization is not properly aligned for whatever decision well, they make. Well, I would, it doesn't mean it can't work. I would push back and say that I don't. I wouldn't say that they're not properly aligned. I would say that we don't know if that's the case yet, because it's possible that Matt Eberflus made a great or Ryan Poles made a great hire. Uh, but for see, but Matt you just pro- you just proved my point. We don't even know who made the hire. 
that that already says that you've got an issue and the fact that the data between defensive minded head coaches and an organization that is that is quarterback centered that doesn't have an offensive minded head coach is already behind those that do. Texter who says JJ McCarthy. Ding 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 ding. Good name. As 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 that guy this year. You're gonna be like, oh. Twelfth, huh? Hmm. Okay. All right. Well, have at it. That's a good name. Or or we can be completely wrong. We have Richard Deitch coming up at eleven to talk a little bit of uh, NFL media. So that's that that's a big topic right now because Tom Brady is set to usurp the throne of Greg Olson at Fox just because he's Tom Brady, regardless of how good Greg Olson is, which I think for a lot of us as viewers is too bad. I want to talk about that with you before we talk with Richard about it because Richard will give us some of the nuts and bolts on it, but I really enjoy him, and I, I want to talk about the job that Greg Olson has done. We'll do that next here on The Score. You're listening to Bernstein and Holmes. I'm still stuck, Dan, in trying to figure out what? exactly what it is we do here. <laughs> right? Well, no, that yeah. part I've figured it out. There's fart jokes and mascots. That's all is going on here. Bernstein and Holmes. Fart jokes what? and mascots. Middays 10 to 2. On 670 The School. Pressure. In trouble. Throws on the run. And the gamble on fourth down does not pay off. All right, so originally Greenlaw was out here, and they thought it was man coverage. So they run a mesh concept, but it's zone. That's a really nice disguise here by Steve Wilkes. Pre-snap read before Gibbs got brought in, told him man. That mesh is a man beater. You zone it out. There was nowhere to go with the ball, and that's two big fourth down stops now in the second half by this 49ers defense. That's how it's done. Simple, quick, no wasted words, a little bit of opinion in there, and you say, oh, I get it. Thank you. That just made me smarter. That That is that well clears the bar that I set of just don't make people dumber. When you make that switch over from the AFC title game oh, to the NFC title get game. Get out of jail free. It felt fresh. It's like, oh, this feels good. They got everything that I need in a broadcast. I get that our level, like the, the we're probably annoyed by things that most fans are not. But when you're listening to Tony Romo these days, it I just don't feel like he's engaged in the game. But let's not make it about Romo. Let's make this all about Greg Olson. I always love when people take on their next stage in life with gusto. It's hard to go from not playing football to whatever it is that you choose. It's difficult. Professional athletes struggle with, what am I now? Because I've always been this. And then you're done. And so what what do you want to become? Some of them go into coaching. Some go into broadcasting. I'm actually kind of excited to talk with Alex on Thursday because beyond broadcasting, he's also doing other stuff. Um, So 
when I listen to Greg Olson, I feel like I'm listening to someone who went into this thing and said, I plan on being the best person at this. I'm not saying he's the best person, but he has an argument. I'm saying that you can tell by how he sounds that there is a commitment to the profession and the craft. Well, I'll say this too. This is just as a fan. I don't want them to supplant Greg Olson with Tom Brady. I don't want them to do that. I'm with you they, on that. They might do it. If they asked me, if we did a focus group, I know he's really good, and I look forward to watching him. We know it doesn't really matter. I mean, the Nance Romo game, of a relatively poorly broadcast game, was by a mile the all-time most viewed AFC championship in the history of the world. Yes. By a mile. It's a massive, massive number. And this this NFC championship game was, what, the highest rated since 2012? But this was with the Tony Romo game that we're decrying. Chiefs-Ravens, 55.5 million viewers. The previous record was Jets-Steelers in the late window in 2011. Like, that is that is crazy. It is. It, that is why networks are shelling out all sorts of money to procure football. So maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe it doesn't matter if anybody's any good or any or or or, or bad, but it matters to me. Same. And I I don't by the way, I'm not presupposing that Tom Brady is going to be bad. Cuz I I've listened to him are, on on I, his podcast and I think that he he has some really inter- his he has a really interesting point of view and I am curious about how Tom Brady's brain works in real time because of how well it worked when he was playing football. And because of how that brain made up for the lack of tangibles that found him drafted in the sixth round. I just think that if you're Fox, you should be celebrating that. I'm not saying fire Tom Brady either. That you should be celebrating the fact that you, somebody identified Greg Olson and said, you you know who'd be good. I think he'd be good. Is Greg Olson, and he just kind of made his way through. And this isn't just the thing of, well, he was there, he deserves to stay there. He's improved from every team that he's been on, every broadcast team that he's been on. And I do think that there's something there with Kevin Burkhardt, I think, and, and EA. I think that they've done a great job of building a good team of broadcasters for the number one game on Fox. It's not to say that Tom Brady won't. I just know that you you have a great color analyst. How willing are you to let him go? And does he deserve more because he's turned himself into a great color analyst? It doesn't seem like it matters. I know that that, that people are texting him with their opinions on it right now. It doesn't seem like it matters that Greg is really good. He's just going to be out because that's what they they decided to do. That's what they invested in, even if it feels like it's the wrong move. When we come back, we're going to be joined by an expert on this, Richard Deitch of The Athletic. He's got lots of information. 
strong opinions, and he's got a new colleague as of this morning. We'll discuss all of that next on The Score. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Listen to every MLB game live. In the deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. Watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at-bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field. It's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at-bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. The score. I'm really impressed watching the tape this week by Luke Getzky, the offensive coordinator. And that ball... Is out Chiefs ball in games like this. The ball matters more than any game. There are 70,000 plus who are screaming against him. Well, that's how many fans I play in front of normally at my house. Pretend like they're all there, but there's zero. But right now. Yeah, I don't know what the hell you're talking about, but thanks for playing. Uh, Let's talk some broadcasting with an expert. Richard Deitch is the media reporter for The Athletic, host of the Sports Media Podcast, a weekly show that features interviews with members of the sports media, roundtables about TV, digital, audio, radio, print, and other forms. You can listen to it on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts, or you can just follow Richard at Richard Deitch on Twitter or X or whatever you're calling it. He is with us on the Circa Sports Illinois hotline. Hi, Richard. How are you? What's up, fellas? Richard, we've been trying to figure out what Fox can do when it comes to Greg Olson because we're both huge fans of his. Think that he, he not only is he great, but he's gotten better as his career has gone on. What's at stake here for him, and what's possible for him and Fox? Well, I mean, first of all, we should step back and realize these are first world problems of the highest order, right? I mean, there's a lot more important things in the world going on than will Greg uh, Olson be a, you know, a millionaire or a multimillionaire. But they, you know, this situation is unlike any situation in modern sports broadcasting. They, They have the most famous person in the history of the NFL in waiting, who signed a contract with Fox Corp, not just Fox Sports, uh, not only to do the games, but also to be a brand ambassador. And what that means is, you know, you bring Tom Brady in if you're looking to close like mega deals. He represents Fox Corp uh, throughout all their different mediums. And they wouldn't just be paying him for uh, to be an NFL game analyst. They're sort of paying him for more. But as it turned out, Greg Olson became arguably the best NFL analyst out there. 
So that presents like a very, very unique and odd problem in that you've signed Tom Brady to this mega contract. I, I have not seen Tom Brady's contract, but I would not doubt that within the contract there's probably some clause that he has to be the number one analyst. And you're not signing Tom Brady to be a studio host or the number two. And so now they have to figure out what to do with Greg Olson. To Fox's credit, and I will give them credit on this, they did promote the guy. They did put him on the number one broadcast. They gave him a chance to succeed, and he took it and ran with it for sure. So, And Olson knows all this, and he's handled this like a clinic. He's, he's been self-deprecating. He's acknowledged that I know Tom's coming. They're not bringing Tom in to be you know, on the number four team. So if I was Olson's agent, it's very easy for me to do from 10,000 feet, I would stay with Fox. I would stay on the. I would. I would. I would join the number two team with Joe Davis, Pam Oliver, excellent team. I would wait my time a little bit because I don't expect Tom Brady to fulfill the his contract, which is a ten year contract with Fox. And I think very soon I will be the number one analyst again on that network. But again, that is very easy for me to say. And there's a big salary difference between what the number one analysts get for the NFL and what the number two analysts get. Do you think that it's possible that that Greg could find himself like other another network could look and say, "Man, we'd love to get him out of his contract with Fox." I I, I think contractually, he probably has the ability to go to another network if they offer him a number one job. I, I think in a lot of contracts, I think that's likely the case where you know if if you get a you know, it's like the Doc Rivers thing. Like if, you know, if, if, if someone offers you an NBA coaching job, there probably was something in the contract, I would imagine, that allowed him to either take it or to talk about it. The thing with the problem for Olsen is I, I don't see that opening. Collinsworth is under contract. He's a longtime NBC guy. I don't think anything happens with him. Troy Aikman is under a longer contract. They just reshaped that entire booth for ESPN ABC. They have a Super Bowl coming up. So... They wouldn't change that. That would make no sense. I know a lot of people sort of dump on Romo, but how CBS feels about Romo is not the same as a lot of people on Twitter might feel about him. He's under contract again for a significant number of years. Nothing is going to change with Romo, at least in 2024. So the the wild card, like in theory, could be Herb Street. But again, he is under contract with Amazon. He has made it part of his life to do both college and the pros. Al Michaels has another year left on his contract, and I don't see Amazon changing. You know, you got to sort of remember, even as good as Olsen is, and again, absolutely an excellent analyst, you know, part of like the reason Greg Olsen is good is because he has a really good team around him. He's got a great producer and director who have done those games forever. Um, he's got an excellent play-by-play broadcaster, Kevin Burkhardt, who allows him to be. I know Olsen's very tight with you know Aaron Andrews, Tom Rinaldi, and the rest of the crew. So if you're Olsen, it's not so easy, let's even say if the opportunity presented himself, to jump into an entirely new situation, which is what Amazon would be. You don't know the director. You don't know the producer. You've never worked with a play-by-play person. You know what I mean? You never work with the replay operator. You're doing different games Thursday night versus Sunday. So it's even if you want to sort of do like fantasy uh, booking here, as they would say in the wrestling business, it's just not as easy to make that move as you might think. And then finally, I would just say this. This is my personal opinion. doesn't mean I'm right. I think Fox's number two schedule personally is a better job than Amazon's number one schedule. I, I think you, would do, you, you may not make as much money, but I actually think you will do better games 
and be more relevant on Fox Network versus Amazon. That, that's If I was Greg Olson's agent, that's how I would look at it. I wish I liked Joe Davis more. You know, I just, it's just my, when, when you reminded me that that's the number two voice, I mean, he's, he's fine. I, he's just not, like, I much prefer Adam Amin. There are so many people who are just more human and more, that aren't, that don't sound to me like an algorithm, like some sort of national play-by-play bot. <laughs> he's an AI, Joe Davis is a, I, I, AI Joe I, Davis. I, yeah, to the point where it's almost kind of weird. And I hear it during baseball, and I hear it. I hear it more during baseball than football, but it bugs me. Yeah, that's obviously. I think that's probably your own personal preference, and that's yep. fine. This is what this is always the case with all these broadcasters. The one thing I know about Joe Davis is he's worked with a lot of people. They all say great things about him. He's oh. obviously the voice of the World Series. Oh, everybody loves him. I mean, he, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure he's a, del- he's a delightful guy. Right. So my point is, if you're Olsen, you're at least working into a situation which is going to be easy. You're going to have a play-by-play person who's going to, who's going to want to make it work for you. I know Pam Oliver forever. Um, she's the best of the best. Uh, probably does a lot of Bears games. You guys have probably seen her a lot. So, um, you know, in that sense, I, I think that would be an easy crew to walk into. You know, Fox also has Adam Amin, who I think is a terrific, and you guys know him from Chicago, terrific broadcaster. Maybe, maybe he's the number two uh, guy down the road. The, the thing about Fox in terms of play-by-play, their first three guys are, are all relatively young. You know, I mean, Burkhardt is he's still under 50. Adam Amin, I'm pretty sure, is I'm almost sure he's under 40, and Joe Davis is under 40. And so, um, in in many ways, it's like a sort of a an avalanche of riches here. At the same time, there's only one, you know, there's only one number one spot, and only one person can do the A games, like, you know, just in baseball, only one person can do can do that. But it, the, the Olsen situation is just interesting because we've just never seen this before because you, you almost never have somebody who's sort of in waiting. But then it's not just anybody who's in waiting. It's Tom Brady. And you, you don't hire Tom Brady to, you know what I'm saying, to be like one of the five people on Fox NFL Sunday. You don't hire Tom Brady to do the, you know, the, 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 the Tampa Bay Atlanta game seen by 10% of the country. And that's what Olsen's had to face. And again, I got great admiration for him because he could have, he, he really could have handled this totally different. He could have been ticked off. He could have, you know, been leaking to the press, like sort of negative stuff about Fox. He could have not sort of been self-deprecating about it, but he totally, I, he, he totally provided a clinic on this. And now we'll see um, again, like it's gotta, you, these guys are, these guys are very different than all of us. They're, they're competitive athletes to the highest order for a reason they all want to be on the top job they all want to have the highest pay and now he's going to sort of have to navigate a situation where based on merit he should be a number one analyst but based on reality those jobs don't exist at the moment Richard from what you've found out talking to people that work at the network level do they even care what the broadcast sounds like or looks like and and I'm I'm not trying to be flippant it's just that if you've made these big deals with Tony Romo, and I know that, that you had the story about the, them talking to Romo a couple years ago about what was going on with them, it doesn't feel like it's gotten better. So does it matter to them when they're doing incredible numbers and making all sorts of money? And is anything at stake in the Super Bowl? Um, yeah, first of all, it matters to them, for sure. It matters to them how the public feels. It matters to them how they, they feel their broadcast is doing. So first and foremost, they're going to make their own judgments based on how they feel the broadcast performs. And that will be a case of network executives watching the broadcast themselves, 
talking to the producer and the director and the associate producer. They're not going by Twitter sentiment. You know what I mean? They're not. They're not going to. If they if you make business judgments based on that, you're insane. In, at least in my opinion, and and you shouldn't have that job. Too too often I have seen media companies uh, kind of chase sentiment, and it's always going to be a losing proposition. But no question that Tony Romo is not the darling of the um, of the public the way he was in twenty you know when he when he jumped in 2017, 2018, because he was so new and fresh. This happens though, you know. And by the way, I, I like the Romo Nance broadcast. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna spin it at all like I, I i think a little bit of the romo bashing becomes performative to be very honest and people just jumping on it but um the thing for romo is that like you know new people come on like olsen and they sound different and in olsen's case he sees the field differently and you could see how prepared the guy is so you get judged and this is going to happen to brady too you're not you're not often you're not only judged anymore in your own performance you're sort of judged against others in the same uh ecosystem uh, which is whether it's fair or unfair, that's what happens. But but good executives won't judge it on that. They'll judge it based on how they think their network is performing. And then get back to your question on viewership, and it's a and it's a good one. Um, do I think viewership at the end of the day sort of means that the broadcast is successful? No, but it's it would be, it's hard to make changes, right? If you're you're putting these record numbers up, literally a couple hours ago, is before you guys called me cbs released its afc championship number it's the most watched afc championship number ever for them so you know if you sort of just base things on that like why would you change your your the viewers are flocking to your game now one might say hey if it's if it's the three of us doing the game they'd get the same numbers i, I maybe they would maybe they wouldn't but my point is in terms of a proposition you're unlikely to make a change if you're putting up those kind of those kind of viewership metrics, but they do self analysis every week. The good broadcast networks send notes to all their broadcasters on what they liked and what they didn't, and it's very much a flowing conversation between the good network executives and each of the crews. And anybody, by the way, on any of these crews, if they're any good, they're going to take this constructive criticism and sort of use it to their advantage. The people who aren't good just dismiss it all and say, "No, I'm the best. I don't need this kind of advice." Talking with Richard Deitch on the Bernstein and Holmes Show on Sports Radio 670, The Score. You mentioned Doc Rivers in passing. Is J.J. Redick going to be sitting next to Doris Burke and Mike Breen? He could be. They like him a lot. I mean, the ESPN execs have liked him for a long time now. Um, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a different voice, and he's part of this generation of athletes who sort of own their own content post-playing and are unafraid to sort of speak to the masses with, I think, some reality. I actually like J.J. because he's willing to call out a lot of uh, media performative stuff and BS, which we haven't often seen other athletes do. But we also um, know that's obviously. hard to do at ESPN where so much of it is occurring. You know, and and that, that as there, and we know now with the way they may be investing some of their money, as the, that's only going to become more difficult to actually tell those truths from the inside. Wait a minute. You don't want just Cowboys, Chiefs, LeBron coverage? You want more uh, than that? Um, don't get me started. Yeah, I agree. It's very hard. Uh, I'll be careful here because I don't want to get you guys an FCC violation. It's a lot easier to do when you have FU money, though, right, yeah. from other places. So, yeah, you got some – JJ's got some freedom in that if it all ended tomorrow at ESPN, my sense is that his finances are okay. 
Um, so that's part of the freedom. And also, you know, the freedom of you have your own content. You own your own content. You can make money that way. But, yeah, I, I, I think they, they, they like a three-person booth in the NBA Finals. They like the analysts playing off each other. That's, that's not a knock on Doris Burke, and it wouldn't be a knock on either Van Gundy Solo or Jackson Solo. They just prefer sort of as an organization the three-person booth. Whether that's good or not, really, honestly, is almost always up to viewers. There were there have been many years where NBC back in the day, right? They had only two. Uh, they had one analyst and one play-by-play call, or CBS the same. I'm talking just NBA. And then obviously, I think most viewers have now gotten used to a three-person booth for the for the finals. The good news for for ABC uh, for ESPN is they don't have to make any decision like ASAP. Um, they have all this depth, so they'll be able to cover all these games as they head forward. But if they decide to go with JJ, and I would I would call it fifty fifty, I think come March that's kind of when you got to start assigning him games then with Doris and Mike Breen, just to get like you know there is a chemistry issue here. You want to just see in terms of how the three work together, uh, you know how you play off the other analysts, which is you know not easy to do when a shot clock is very very quick in the NBA. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised. I, I, I think Doris and, and Mike Brink can handle this easily. But if you're going to sort of go based on historically and how ESPN plays it, I, I think I would probably put it, you know, if I was going to Vegas, I, I'd, I'd probably make JJ being on the broadcast more like a very, very, very slight favorite than not. I wanted to ask you to look ahead a little bit, Richard, because I, I, over the last few nights I've had a really – cool time on Twitter and people can't say that much anymore. Um, talking about women's college basketball uh, after the, the South Carolina LSU game, there was a really robust conversation. I did a whole pod last night about what's wrong with LSU basketball after they lost to Mississippi state last night. Clearly there's been exponential growth in women's college basketball. Where do you think there is an opportunity for similar growth in another sport that isn't already at the forefront yet? Well, first of all, let me congratulate you for having fun on Twitter because you clearly are not getting the same stuff I get with, with psych ops about Taylor Swift <laughs> um, being hired by the CIA, CIA to make the Chiefs the, uh, the overwhelming favorite. All, all, no, I'm, I'm, we're getting that too. No, all, getting that too? <laughs> Richard, all I get are porn bots liking tweets of mine from seven years ago. Okay, Jason Whitlock. No, but the thing is, is that what, what what I think is interesting is that I threw out a thread about what happened in the South Carolina LSU game, and it, there were nothing but men in the thread, which I also think is kind of incredible. But the right. fact that that I think if you were to ask just the random sports fan to name women college basketball players versus male college basketball players, and you took out their favorite team, I think that we're at a place now where the Angel Reese's of the world have become stars that have transcended their sport. Well, first of all, I blame Taylor Swift for the Iran-Contra scandal as well as the War of 1812. That's just me. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but you are correct. Women's basketball is having like a – a big popular culture moment. Caitlin Clark is at the forefront of that. Angel Reese, obviously Paige Beckers, um, you know, would be part of that as well. But this really all stemmed from the LSU, uh, Iowa game last year when 9.9 million people watched that game that, that, that obliterated the viewership record 
for a women's basketball championship. And nine point nine million is the kind of stuff that college football puts up, you know, for let's say like a big regular season game between two ranked teams. So those numbers are incredible. Um, you might not get that this year because of the confluence of everything that happened last year. Also, just as someone covered women's basketball for many years at Sports Illustrated, I don't think Iowa has the talent to get to the finals again. But that sport is on the rise and will continue. That That's not going to go away. The sport that I like in terms of what's another women's growth sport to look head fo- heading forward, women's softball and, co- and women's mm-hmm. college volleyball. Now, they're not going to be – I don't think they're going to hit the levels of women's basketball because ultimately women's basketball players on a campus, they're just more popular. They have a pro league to play in after afterwards that is watched by people. So it's not going to be the same, but you know, having written about this a long time, you look at the women's college softball numbers and you look at the women's college volleyball numbers and they're, they're going up and they've gone up over the last couple of years in an era where a lot of things on cable and linear don't go up. Networks have noticed this. They're putting, they're putting these games on much better programming windows, which means, you know, you'll see these sports on an ABC or a Fox where once upon a time they were only on ESPN two or FS one or the big 10 network. So I like the growth opportunities in that, but you know, in some ways, I, I'm not saying this is good. And like you, I mean, again, I covered women's basketball at SI for 15 years. So trust me when I can tell you that, like, when I've been on Twitter, like, I've seen all sorts of horrible garbage when it comes to that sport. Women reporters get a lot worse than me. But, you know, again, as someone who likes women's basketball has tweeted about it, I see it. But in some ways also, it is a sign of popularity, right? It's a sign of popularity that there's enough people out there who know who Caitlin Clark and Angel Reese are to actually hate on them. And in some ways, that is progress because they have morphed over to the popular um, sporting culture. But it's a really good thing. I mean, the fact alone that Fox would put um, like a women's college basketball game in a window, let's say on a Sunday where they were going up against like, you know, another network that had football. And of course, it's not going to come close to the NFL, but that's really big progress. Well, once upon a time, you know, that could have been some like two-hour documentary that they did on, like, you know, the 1986 Raiders or something like that. So we're in, we're, we're, we're heading in a, in a, in a good place, and um, I'm going to be really curious to see how the tournament does this year because, you know, it may be Caitlin Clark's last year in college. Looks almost for sure Angel Reese's last year in college. Most like we'll see what happens with Paige Beckers and some of these, these other stars. But uh, women's college basketball is having a pretty good moment. It's cool to see. As we let you go, Richard, we would be remiss to not mention the meta topic as we discuss Greg Olson and Tom Brady, uh, who now that Andrew Marchand has announced that he is joining The Athletic to write sports business and media, what kind of conversations are going on there? What? Andrew Marchand is joining The Athletic? Yes, I did know about this prior, prior before the news breaking. Um, well, listen, the guy, Marchand is a, ter- is a tremendous newsbreaker, um, and and we'll add, I think, you know, sort of fantastic coverage in that area. The one thing, you know, and again, I mean, you know, we'll see how this works out. I mean, in many ways, we're all day to day in media, mm-hmm. even those of us who have a contract. Although I got a pretty good employment lawyer in Toronto, so I'm feeling pretty good on that. But, um, you know, like the reality is, I can just tell you this. I'm, I'm not trying to come off like a self-promoting ass, but like my stuff does really good traffic. Like, and what it tells you is that, like, there's much more of an interest in sports media than I think, like, generally editorial managers ever realized and knew. I mean, there's a reason why all these blogs, like, exploded in the 2010s, et cetera. 
So there's enough to go around. And, you know, in terms of the real meta stuff, I just think Marsha and I are very different. We're different writers. We like different things. Um, I think we have different strengths. So I think it could work. I mean, you know, the proof will be in the pudding. Like, you know, we'll have this conversation uh, six months from now. But, you know, the Athletic has the Athletic has done a good job in terms of really, like, loading up in areas where they think that they can get interest. You know, there's a reason we have, like, 15 college football writers, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever it is, 40 NFL writers. We have multiple NASCAR or racing writers. Um, and so, yeah. So, I mean, I knew it was coming, honestly, for – a couple of weeks, the announcements uh, there today. And again, I, I, Martian is a, he's a very, very skilled newsbreaker, and I would expect him to be doing the same things for us as he did for the New York Post. And I agree, and I will enjoy both of your work and appreciate, I appreciate that. And appreciate Please. you taking Thank the you. time to uh, spend so much uh, with us today. Now, listen, I love Chicago. It, uh, now living in Toronto as an American, I live in a city, honestly, that reminds me the most mm-hmm. of Chicago. So I'm always glad to be out with you guys. Thanks, Richard. We appreciate the time. Talk to you soon. See ya. Thank you. Richard Deitch of The Athletic. A lot in there. Mm-hmm. Want to talk some NBA next? Sure. We can react to what Richard said if you want. We can save the NBA topic for another time. It depends on okay. which, which way but you no, want to yeah, go. Yeah, no, there's, there's – I, I just I, – I, I do disagree strongly with something he said. I do, too. All right, L- let's, let's, let's talk about Let's this. discuss that next on The Score. Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Odyssey Station. By the way, I I like the Romo Nance broadcast. I'm not going to, I'm not going to. Spin it at all. Like, I, I, I think a little bit of the Romo bashing becomes performative, to be very honest, and people just jumping on it. But um, the thing for Romo is that, like, you know, new people come on, like Olsen. And they sound different. And in Olsen's case, he sees the field differently. And you could see how prepared the guy is. Yeah, I I disagree with Richard Deitch about the criticism of Tony Romo. I think Romo's been bad. I think he's gotten progressively worse as he's done less work. And it's all superlatives and screams and the saying of Jim is has is completely out of control and is now a, a a pet peeve of mine that I can't unhear and it just makes for a very difficult consumer experience. If we would have had more time, I would have. It was on my the tip of my my brain where I was like, I'm gonna ask him why he likes the broadcast because I was curious like what was it? maybe there's something that I'm missing. I think that Jim Nance is still fine. I think that Tracy Wilson's really good. But I think that Romo, like you said, there's been a dissent that's gone on with him since he started. Now, I get the idea of he's closer to the game, so in those first couple of years, it was easy for him to pull the magic trick of, I'm getting ready to tell you what to do, because more than likely, he still had the the game planning software programmed and maybe even knew some of the calls that were going around the league because he played the position. I just feel like when I'm listening now, I'm listening to a guy that is relying on his relationship with Jim to pull him through. It doesn't feel like the like we were the opposite of Greg Olson, where it doesn't feel like the preparation is strong. It feels like there's the great family guy bit 
uh, where they're making fun of Ben Affleck. He's like, oh, I've got to, I've got to go be King Lear in in an hour, and he's like, hello, hello, got it. That's how I feel like Romo is getting ready for games, where it's like, oh, I got it, I got it. Well, I'll just take whatever they told me, and I'm gonna push some of the coaching agendas without pushing back. And that's one of the things he didn't know the name of the Bears' offensive coordinator. There's that. I am really impressed watching the tape this week by Luke Getzky. I mean, come on. And he did that multiple times. If it was one time, it's fine. And then he laughed at it. Oh, I'm told his name is Getzky. That's the offensive coordinator of the team whose game you're doing nationally. You know, know, it's – you're the show. When you are the analyst, it's your show. The play-by-play guy is only there to facilitate everything, to say some last names, to bring you in and out of commercial, to, to, to talk over the establishment shots, to voice over the sponsors. It is your show, and it's like he doesn't want it to be. And it also is there isn't enough pushback, which is one of my criticisms of Chris Collinsworth this year when it came to Bears broadcast specifically. The guy who I think does that really well is Troy Aikman. Does his own work. That he's doing his own thing. And I'm sure that there are moments where Troy's in meetings with coaches and he's like, okay, sure. Exactly. Well, Aikman is critical enough to think, why is he why is he feeding me this? Right. When I can watch the tape and I am watching the tape. I still think that Tony is uh interesting. And and I do think that there's fun to be had he's in upbeat. the booth. He's definitely yeah. upbeat. Yeah. It just feels like he's not, it feels like he's not trying. And that's a little offensive. That that you're in this position and you're kind of not even trying, where you see that there are other analysts who are in similar positions all around sports, where even if I don't necessarily like, like for example. I'm not a big Smoltz guy, okay? Oh, I'm, ugh. Ugh. But I know that when he takes the microphone, he's at least committed to giving me his point of view. Yeah, but it's often wrong I, and, I, and under-informed. I, that's... Actively under-informed, and he's proud of it being under-informed. But at least it's a point of view. And then I, as a viewer, can go, uh, come on, man. And that's not how the game is played. When I'm watching Romo... It just feels like the information is right there and you're choosing like not to get engaged with the game that you're watching today. Like I've said this before that we've been blessed with some really good local analysts and the We're definitely spoiled. And for me the a really good mix most nights between fun, occasionally goofy and silly and taking the serious stuff seriously is Stacy King. Stacy King is he teaches the game and I don't always agree with him. No, you mostly don't agree with, with him. With certain things, there's certain things that that I we we just have a different basketball philosophy, but I respect the difference of opinion. And I I mean I I respect his coaching chops because there are times where he's he sees stuff, he says stuff and he, and he and you but you feel like you're hanging out with somebody who isn't going to cheat you and isn't blowing smoke about a guy. By the way, Brady's on McAfee, or was on McAfee. I don't know if they're live or tape. He said that he's been doing some work with Kevin Burkhardt already. So that's that's encouraging. 
that if you're looking forward to seeing Tom Brady, that and I'm I'm not surprised just the way that he's wired. You're not going to get a lazy performance from Tom Brady. Like he is going to be in it. I don't know if he'll be able to pull it off. No, he won't be Joe Montana. But it won't be because he didn't try. It won't be that he just punted. And that's that's the thing that it feels like with Romo, where Romo's like, well, I mean, and and to a certain extent, he's right. He's got the gig. They're not moving him out of the gig. He can just get comfortable and do the gig. Because it, it's very unlikely that they're going to move on from him. So, you know, you've made all your money as a quarterback, and now you've made more money as an analyst. Things must feel pretty sweet for Tony Romo right now. You know, you make, what, $125 million as a quarterback and $180 million as a broadcaster. And you get to play any course you want whenever you want. Yep. Very nice. High Noon is coming up. I have a conclusion to an open-ended High Noon story that I think you will remember, and it involves murder. I want to talk about puppies. You're listening to Bernstein and Holmes. Midday's 10 to 2 on 670 The Score. I'll be back this way on Monday. We'll settle this then. Right there, out in the street, in front of the palace alone. Yeah, right. When? High noon? It's high noon. Started out by talking about the Bears a little bit. This false idea that there's a right decision and a wrong decision when it comes to how they handle the quarterback and their path going forward. I think we should look at history and specifically Bears history and draft history to realize there's a much better possibility that no matter what they do, they're going to be wrong. And Lawrence backed that up with some history from the Bears themselves with Josh Lucas on Football Night in Chicago. We talked a little bit about broadcasting and the future of Greg Olson and Richard Deitch joined us to do the same. We reacted to that. I saw the videos for this, and do yourself a favor and search these videos out, too. These are the type of videos that will not get you in trouble at work, although it might just delay you working. The 49ers, before the NFC Championship game, got puppy therapy. This is a story from ESPN. Ahead of the NFC Championship game, the San Francisco 49ers are calming their nerves with puppy therapy courtesy of the Humane Society Silicon Valley, which works to build, quote, a more compassionate community by saving homeless pets, close quote. The puppies visited the 49ers on Friday, two days before San Francisco faces Detroit for a spot in the Super Bowl. Players such as George Kittle and Chase Young couldn't help but cuddle the furry animals. They also answered questions on TikTok while holding the puppies. San Francisco has a chance to reach its third Super Bowl this century, though they haven't yet have yet to win it since 1995. Here's a quote. The players really rely on Zoe to brighten their day. Zoe is a French bulldog that that the, the team adopted in 2018. So meetings, practices, and workouts can make for a long day. Zoe acts as a stress reliever. Close quote. Animal therapy potentially has a positive impact on athletes. And parenthetically, I would say on people in general Fonzie um I just love this both of my kids colleges during finals 
have available puppy therapy. It's great. They've got, you can go, they, they'll let you know that you get a text, like the dogs are here, and you can go sometimes inside, sometimes outside, and you just go, and there's just dogs there for you to hang out with. And the good thing is, is that I imagine that that some of these guys are like, you know what I need? A puppy. And then they can adopt one of these puppies. So what a cool way to like spend a couple hours to decompress by hanging out with puppies that just want to hang out with you and wag their tail and lick your face. Yep, we're within, I think, a week of getting Maggie. We've got Maggie, I think, for 10 days. We're very excited about it. Yeah, I need to go see my guy Pudge. I got, I still got Christmas gifts for him. Well, well, Pudge, we're wondering where you are then. Yeah, I know. I've been absent. I'm going to go see Pudge, and he's going to make me feel good. And I, hopefully I'll make him feel good, too, because I got a gift for him. He's going to chew it up. If I tell you the name Caitlin Armstrong, remember who that is? Remember Caitlin Armstrong? I feel like that was a high noon story. It was. Caitlin Armstrong has been on the lam. She was the suspect in the murder of Mariah Moe Wilson, the professional gravel bike racer. Remember we had a love triangle? Yes. And we had a murder. And she shot this woman repeatedly and then went on the lam. And if you remember all the pictures of Caitlin Armstrong, I was like, well. Yeah, people were like, she's really, really attractive. Yeah, that, that, is a, that, that was a MILF where the M stands for murderer. Well, she doesn't look like that anymore. Because in Costa Rica, to where she fled, she had plastic surgery done. So the pictures of her at her sentencing, she's unrecognizable. But how did they catch her, you wonder? You know what they did? This is the U.S. Marshals. You you talk about cinematic. Federal authorities planted a phony advertisement seeking a yoga instructor to capture the Texas woman later convicted of murdering an elite bicyclist and perceived romantic rival. So she vanished from Austin. The murder was May 11th of 2022. Tips led authorities to Costa Rica. Deputy U.S. Marshals Damian Fernandez and Emir Perez had a needle-in-a-haystack challenge of finding their suspect in the tropical paradise filled with Americans living relaxed expat lives. So Perez said to CBS, we had other intelligence indicating she was staying in hostels in Costa Rica. And I don't even know anything about Costa Rica, but Costa Rica has a lot of hostels, an unbelievable amount. They found a businessman with connections to Armstrong, who is now going by the name Beth. And according to pictures provided by the contact, she had changed her appearance. And even when the search narrowed to the small mountain town of Santa Teresa, it was still a tough search. Fernandez said, from the get-go, we were told, you're going to be in for a surprise because a lot of the women in Santa Teresa look just like Caitlin. With little hope of finding Armstrong, authorities threw a Hail Mary pass. So we decided we're going to put an ad out, multiple ads, for a yoga instructor, and we'd see what would happen. We got a bite. Someone who identified herself as a yoga instructor and said they wanted to meet with us at a particular hostel. And we said, here's our chance. Perez met Armstrong, got close enough to see bandages on her face, which were connected to cosmetic surgery she had had to change her appearance and evade capture. But the changes weren't enough to throw Perez off the trail. He said the eyes were the exact same as I saw in the picture. And then Fernandez said he gets in the car and said, 
That's her. She's in there. Local police moved in for the arrest. Receipts were later found at Armstrong's hostel showing payments for plastic surgery. Wow. And the jury convicted her to 90 years. Her sentence, she was convicted and sentenced to 90 years in prison. That is, wow. Why do you not burn the cosmetic receipts? What are we doing? You, you go through all the trouble to cover up and you leave that kind of evidence? Not great. Blood simple, as they say. Wow. Um, I have some breaking news. Yes. And it's, it's, it, and it's not good for the Bears. This is from Tom Pelissero. Lions offensive coordinator Ben Johnson informed the Seahawks and commanders that he's staying in Detroit. What? Johnson is still only 37, and he'll be a hothead coaching candidate again next year. But first, he wants to take another shot at bringing the Lombardi Trophy to Detroit. Or is it good for the people that want Iberfus fired after next year so they can hire Ben Johnson? Maybe. Fire him now and hire Ben Johnson. That, I feel he like just this, said he's not interested in anyone. Uh, maybe he's interested in the Bears. He's always. I, I feel like I feel like this puts Belichick back in play. By the way, Washington yeah. for Belichick. You want someone to come fix Ow. your franchise? What? You don't have enough time. Just saying. I think that now Belichick's back in play. Also, Arthur Smith is going to be the offense coordinator in Pittsburgh, which I think is a really smart move by Mike Tomlin and crew. Yeah, Ben Johnson and his offense, I actually have, like, in my notes, I didn't bring it up in our meeting, but I had in my notes something, a Ben Johnson topic that I wanted to get to, and that's his use of play action and multiple formations. It's it's something I can probably just bring up with Bowen and we can talk about, but, yeah, he's going to be sticking around. There you go. Wow. Yep. That's high noon Great. and breaking NFL news. You have some receipts you'd like to share that you've saved, not for your plastic surgery. <laughs> well, you never know. Um, and I do love Costa Rica. I've been there a couple times. It's pretty great. That's where Lovey Smith was attacked by macaques, but, right? But he had a machete and he took care of business. Macaques, macaques, macaques. Macaques. Um, when, when I come back, I want to try to inform people about conversations about quarterbacks and the people who have these conversations, the people whose opinion that you're taking and running with. I want you to remember what some of their opinions are. We'll talk about the quarterback draft complex next here on The Score. The Score! You have no second round pick, so some maneuvering to take place there. And if you trade Justin Fields to Atlanta, you could get the eighth pick overall. So you could have one, eight, and nine field and be able to recoup a second round pick by trading down with one of those two picks, either eight or nine. So a lot of maneuverability for the Bears either way field. But if it's me, I'm taking Caleb Williams number one and trading Justin Field. He says Field. He was talking to Field Yates, not Fields. I, it gets confusing in there because he was talking about Fields, talking to a guy whose first name is Field. Yes. But that was Mel Kuyper Jr. Jr. Got that Jr. in there. Okay. I don't know if he knows what he's talking about at all. That's part of the problem. <laughs> yeah. We got a little problem. Let me just say this first. I want to lay this out here before we get into the conversation. I really enjoy talking to draft analysts and those who can't see me on Twitch. 
I am using air quotes. I think that they have a lot of value because there's stuff that they're watching that maybe we aren't watching. They're maybe wa- they're more than likely watching more college football than we are, and they're talking to people like a lot of people like Kuiper who have grown their their business do get an opportunity to talk to NFL front offices. Caveat emptor is, is all I would say when it comes to that. Look, we're going to have a bunch of them on. We had Daniel Jeremiah on last week. I really like him. I like Bucky Brooks. I like a lot of the people that do this. It's become its own industry, its own cottage industry inside of NFL. And these are the things that I want folks to be careful about when they are hitching their wagon to any quarterback that you heard that this quarterback is the top quarterback in this class. This quarterback is generational. This quarterback is like Patrick Mahomes. I want you to take a listen to like, like this recap. And I'm going to use 2017 as, as the lesson here. So take this into account. This is actually from the Cleveland Browns website before the draft they took a look at what the consensus was for people who are in the draft business and a lot of the names you will recognize like Benjamin Albright and Bucky Brooks and Dane Brugler and Todd McShay and Mel Kuyper and Mike Mayock these are all to, to different degrees trusted draft voices can we all agree on that? These are made guys. Made guys. There are plenty of other people that are doing stuff as well, but these are these are the guys that people will hold up and say, well, such and such said that this quarterback is a generational talent, and I'm going to run with that, and that's going to be my only defense when people push back on Caleb Williams. Generational talent, la, 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 la. Okay. This is how the average of what those guys said in 2017 about the quarterbacks. These are the top four quarterbacks, according to those guys in 2017, with their rankings. Would you like to guess who number one is? Number one. Who the consensus best quarterback in the 2017 draft, according to the names that I just read, who are they? Who is it? Mitchell what? Trubisky. Okay. Ray, would you like to guess? I, in all honesty, to be transparent, I was reading an email, so I will not participate. Are, who, <laughs> who do you think the draft analyst thought was the number one quarterback in 2017? In 2017? The Mitchell draft. Okay. I know it definitely was not Patrick Mahomes. Okay. But who do you think they, they said was number one? Studs? Trubisky. Oh, man. Because remember, there's Deshaun Watson in that draft, too. There's I know Patrick it wasn't. Mahomes. It couldn't be Deshaun Watson. Can be. I mean, it could be. It could be, but I'm guessing due to the nature of this exercise, it's not. It's not. It's not any of the quarterbacks that were named. Oh, who else was in that draft? Right. What? Yeah. You know who the number one consensus quarterback of Mike Mayock, Mel Kuyper Jr., Todd McShay, Daniel Jeremiah, Jeremiah, Dane Brugler, Bucky Brooks, and Benjamin Albright were? Who? 
Deshaun Kaiser. Oi. The individual ranks for those by these guys. Mayock had him first. Kuyper had him third. McShay had him third. Jeremiah had him first. Brugler had him second. Bucky Brooks had him first. Benjamin Albright had him first. This was the conclusion. Biggest questions facing Kaiser. Kaiser leads the way with four first-place rankings among the experts, yet he is not even projected to be drafted in the first round of multiple popular mock drafts. Many scouts believe Kaiser has the highest ceiling of any quarterback in the draft and that his 2015 tape is the best of this class. See, now this makes me question if they watched Deshaun Kaiser in college. I, as a novice observer of Deshaun Kaiser, could have told them that's not accurate. Why does everybody want to keep it like the Kaiser? These are all questions. You're shocked, aren't you, Dan? Yeah. It's certainly a name like you don't think of at all whatsoever, at least me. Uh Uh-huh. Not at all. He started in, in 2017, he started 15 games, and he completed 53.6% of his passes for 2,894 yards, 11 touchdowns, 22 interceptions, a rating of 60.5. He played in three games for Green Bay in 2018, rating of 40.5, and did not play. It was on Oakland, which became Las Vegas, and then Tennessee, and then 2020, and then his career was over. Yep. A highly touted quarterback prospect only to be forgotten seven years later. All right, the next quarterback down, the next rated quarterback, was Mitchell Trubisky. Here's how the experts ranked it. Mayock had him third. Kuyper had him first. McShay had him first. Jeremiah had him second. Brugler had him first. Brooks had him second. Benjamin Albright had him second. Biggest questions facing Trubisky. Trubisky is tied with Kaiser for the top overall ranking with three first-place rankings and three second-place rankings among the seven experts polled. The one exception is Mayock, who has Trubisky third at the position and said he heard Trubisky might measure just over six foot one at the combine. Since Mayock made that comment, the Tar Heels' stature has become a big topic of debate. Number three was Patrick Mahomes. Did everybody have him three? Mayock had him fourth. Kuyper had him fourth. McShay had him sixth. Sixth? Jeremiah had him sixth? Yeah. Behind which five? I believe Nathan Peterman was one of the people that he was behind. Oh, he should have been fired. Like, there's no consequence for this? Daniel Jeremiah had him fourth. Dane Brugler had him fourth. Bucky Brooks had him fifth. You had Patrick Mahomes behind Nathan Peterman? And Benjamin Albright had him third. Number four was Deshaun Watson. Coming out, out after all the stuff that he had done at Clemson. Mike Mayock had him second. Kuyper had him second. McShay had him second. Jeremiah had him third. Brugler had him third. Bucky Brooks had him third. Benjamin Albright had him fourth. Those were the top, like the consensus top four quarterbacks by draft experts in 2017. 
And we go back to the same people every year. The problem with the draft industrial complex is there's too much work to be done. There's too many people. It has to be farmed out. It has to be outsourced. The problem is when you don't get it. This is like what we're talking about with Josh Lucas, where people are similarly afraid to say, no, Dane Brugler's got this wrong. Or if, if, is everybody talking to all of the same people and, and scouting via phone and via text and not necessarily trusting their own eyes? Texter's like, where'd you find this? This was on the Cleveland Browns website. They, they polled the experts to get their thoughts on what they wanted to see if they could find consensus. All I'm saying is that you should take in that information. And, and, and I know that it's a lot of work to ask fans to kind of make up their own minds on things and maybe do a little bit of, of research on their own. Deshaun Kaiser was the consensus number one pick in 2017 of people who do draft analysis for a living. There you go. And I do wonder if there is something to the idea of folks are talking to the same people or talking to each other. It's an inexact science. (laughs) That's more than an inexact science. When a guy who couldn't play, Sean Kaiser couldn't play, and he was the consensus top pick in that draft among all of those major national opinioners. I went back That's incredible. I went back to Kuiper and Jeremiah's like ranking themselves. Like after I went and looked at this, I was like, let me go back to their own personal rankings. Here's Kuiper's top five. Mitch, Mahomes, Watson, Peterman, Kaiser. And then the top three for Jeremiah were Kaiser, Mitch, Deshaun. Keep all of this stuff in mind. When you're when you're out here trying to have robust debates with people and you're trying to tell them that you have seen the light because someone told you 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 have you you have found consensus. Everyone thinks that Caleb Williams is going to be the number 1 pick in the draft and everyone thinks that he's got the traits of Patrick bleeping Mahomes. And even the scouts who were paid to see those traits couldn't see the traits in the actual Patrick Mahomes. Uh-huh. You see how it all kind of, like, it goes back to what we were talking about in the first segment, where really what we're discussing is trying to get a, a better process for this. It still hasn't been per- perfected. Here's where, and someone texted us and said, man, I had a lot of hope in this until you guys talked about what's going on with the bears. I'm not telling you to not have hope. In fact, I think that there's a factor that you should. Ryan polls might be good at this. That's where the hope should lie. That he, and I don't know what he thinks about any of these quarterbacks, including the one that's already on his roster. And he was in the room when they were doing the Mahomes evaluation. Correct. So was so was Nagy. Nagy was was feeding Patrick Mahomes the right questions 
to to what was on the board because he saw something and I and I'm told from a very good source that his board was Mahomes, Watson, Mitch. So then of course he gets the job and he's like, "Oh, I got Mitch." Awesome. Well, and if then you should have reconciled that before you took the job. Yes. I know you wanted to be a head coach, but you can't be bitter about that but Dan, and have that color everything that you do. Dan, this is the type of stuff that leads to the bigger discussion. This, this is, is the concept of not my guy. And the concept of are you aligned? Are you aligned? And the Bears already are not. At the moment, they're not. And they very likely won't be. But we'll see. Here's another list for you. Okay. Here are all of the quarterbacks who have gone number one overall since the merger. Okay. Okay. Starts in 1970. Terry Bradshaw. Multiple championships, Hall of Famer. The next year, Jim Plunkett. Hall of Famer. I don't think so. I think Jim got in. He won a Super Bowl, but it was only later in his career when... He was, he was a Heisman Trophy winner, and he was never any good with the Patriots, and he was a he, he was a bounced around the league and ended up getting his chance only because Dan Pastorini got hurt. And then he won another Super Bowl. He won two, so, yeah, two Super Bowls right. for... Okay, but but he was pro- he's probably on the negative side of the ledger overall. 1975, Steve Bartkowski to the Falcons. Oh, that's a good yeah. jersey. Is he number 10? Right? Yes. Great call. 83, John Elway. First ballot. Yep. 83. But, Argument but, for greatest of all time. However, not drafted by the Broncos. Right. Drafted by the Colts. Because he was going to go play baseball. And he said, I'm not playing for the Colts. I'm going to go play for the Yankees. 1987, Vinny Testaverde. Nah. Okay. Like long career. Yeah. Some wins in there. Mm-hmm. It's fine. Jim Plunkett not in the Hall of Fame. That's what I thought. Way. Yeah, he didn't make it. He wasn't, he wasn't that Sh- good. Should have made it. No, he shouldn't. Look at his numbers. Should have made it. Yeah. 89, Troy Aikman. Great quarterback, great broadcaster. There are some arguments there about great quarterback. Winning quarterback. The very next year, in 1990, the number one overall pick was Jeff George. All the tools never put it together. 1993, quarterback probably most famous for being replaced, Drew Bledsoe. Really good career. Yeah. And now making wine, right? Isn't that his bit? But I think that he's, like, actually successful at it. I think Drew Bledsoe has made, like, quite the life for himself making wine. 1998. That's easy. It's Peyton Manning and Ryan Leaf. Peyton Manning. The next year. And there were people who were telling you in 1998 that the number one pick in the draft should be Ryan Leaf. How about 1999? You talk about a can't miss. This was one of oh, these. Oh, this is Tim Couch. One of these check all the boxes, can't miss quarterbacking prospects. Tim Couch. And Craig Yeast. 2001, Michael Vick. Great player. Great player ahead of his time. 
2002, David Carr. Sacked you. Always wonder. Sacked you much? Was he was he beaten up, or, or was that just an excuse that he would have been bad anyway? We'll never know. Which also should go into the calculus on whether or not a guy like what happens to the guy and how the guy responds. That also is part. Like that's part of the conversation when we're talking about Justin. Mm-hmm. How how damaged were you by your first year experience? Speaking of how damaged were you in 2003, the number one overall pick was another can't miss. I believe that it might have been the cover of Sports Illustrated that said building the perfect quarterback, Carson Palmer. Great player. Carson Palmer tore his ACL in the wild card game against the Steelers. If I remember, the culprit was Kimo Van Ulhofen, who injured his knee. So we'll never know if he was that or not. 2004, number one overall quarterback, number one overall pick, quarterback Eli Manning. Hall of Fame player. Yes. Multiple Super Bowl winner. 2005, Alex Smith. Hall of the Very Good. 2007, Jamarcus Russell. Bust out that didn't work. The famous story of them putting money in the... Was it money in the playbook and he never found it? Oh, was that your Marcus Russell? Yeah, I think in the was... blank DVDs yeah. where they said it was blitz packages. Or no, they asked him what he watched and he said it was blitz packages, but it was all blank. 2009, Matthew Stafford. Hall of Fame player. 2010, Sam Bradford. Hall of Famer at the bank. I'll never forget what hit after his pro day. They said it was the perfect he was the last guy to get the crazy guaranteed money. I think he got $50 million guaranteed. The Bradford rule was invoked shortly thereafter. 2011, Cam Newton. Borderline Hall of Fame player. 2012, Andrew Luck. I wonder what his... I'd probably put Andrew Luck in the Hall of Fame, but no, I wonder if his... No, no, no. If his lack of longevity no. keeps him out. No. 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 And, and his numbers keep him out. 2015, Jameis Winston. Yeah, eating that dust. <laughs> Still playing. 2016, Jared Goff. Pretty good player. Tw- but but mm-hmm. considered a bust. By con- his own team. Yes. Even though his numbers say he was great in Los Angeles, they felt they could upgrade from him. 2018 Baker Mayfield. Baker is having a renaissance now. I was shocked when he was drafted number one overall. 2019 Kyler Murray. So now two guys in the Lincoln Riley system. Uh-huh. Pretty good quarterback. I, I actually, one of my, like how we were talking about, someone's like, well, what, what is your comp for Caleb? I think he's a better, supercharged, bigger version of Kyler Murray. And that means you're really good. 2020, Joe Burrow. If he can stay healthy, he's going to the Hall of Fame. Him staying healthy has been a problem. And he may have played a role in that. There, there's, a, there's a fun little exercise that's going on on Bengals Twitter on whether they should have gotten Jamar Chase or Panay Sewell because that was the conversation back then. And lastly, 2021, Trevor Lawrence. The jury's still out. 
I still have a lot of faith in Trevor Lawrence. Okay. I just, but I but I get anyone who would say, eh, eh. I just thought that name should be all the names should be presented, eh. and there you have them. Eh. And if you're gonna add Caleb Williams to that list, you can say, okay, all right, see. Now there's a list of 41 names in the player pool for the U.S. Olympic men's basketball team. Out of that 41, I have my 10, but I can't decide who the last two are. The team's going to be 12. 10 I've got for sure. Okay. And Do I then, have to say yes, they're on the Olympic team? You don't have to agree, but I've got my 10. Because I did this with Jason on the podcast yesterday, and I'm like, I'm going to give the names. He's like, yes, yes, baby, yes. I'm like, Jay, that's 20. You can't have It's too many. You can only have 12. You can't say yes to everybody or maybe to anybody. So I've got, I do have a list of 10 for sure, and then a cloud of maybes where I think there's all sorts of reasonable arguments for what kind of roster construction Steve Kerr wants, depending on how he wants to approach these games and these matchups. There is a bull who is involved, Alex Caruso. Do you think I have him in my 10? No. Well, you'll have to wait a moment to find out. Not really. Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. First of all, just his mentality. Just a, a hard worker that's going to do all that he can for his teammates. Great teammate. You know, that stuff right there, just when you're a great teammate and you play hard, that makes up for a lot of uh, mistakes. And, uh, tonight, he got his hands on the basketball. He was able to knock down threes. That takes him to another level as a player. Kevin Durant on Alex Caruso, who could end up being his teammate on Team USA. That's in one of the names that I do have on the team is, believe it or not, Kevin Durant. I actually have him on that team. So there's a fascinating grouping here. So the fact that Caruso was the only bull, you know, no Levine, no DeRozan. And this is the alphabetical list. Okay, so I'm just gonna I'm gonna read them off. This is uh, Julia Poe's story in the Tribune, and this is what they're starting with: the initial cloud of names: Bam Adebayo, Jared Allen, Paolo Banquero, Desmond Bain, Scotty Barnes, Devin Booker, Mikael Bridges, Jalen Brown, Jalen Brunson, Jimmy Butler, Alex Caruso, Steph Curry, Anthony Davis, Kevin Durant, Anthony Edwards, Joel Embiid, De'Aaron Fox, Paul George, Aaron Gordon, Tyrese Halliburton, James Harden, Josh. Hart. Why won't you give me a chance to say yes or no of whether these uh, let guys me, should... let, me, let me run through first, and then you tell me who's, who's your team. I can't remember all those names. Fine. You want to do it that way? You want to do a yes, yes. or no? Okay. Fine. We want to do it that way. Because I did this with Jason. It was with pointless because he came up with 20. I'm going to come up with 25. Well, that's too many. Suck it. Bam Adebayo. No. Jared Allen. No. Paolo Boncaro. Mm, no. Desmond Bain. Yes. Scotty Barnes. Mm, no. Devin Booker. Yes. Mikhail Bridges. No. Jalen Brown. No. Wait. 
wait. <laughs> R.I.P. Louis Anderson. Fight Club. R.I.P. Louis Anderson. Wait. Wait. Yes. Jalen Brown's a yes. Jalen Brunson. Ooh. No. Jimmy Butler. Yes. And I hate Jimmy, so. Alex Caruso. I want him on the team, but no. That's a no. Come on. Steph Curry. Yes. Anthony Davis. Yes. Kevin Durant. Yes. My team's on the floor. I'm good. <laughs> no, no, you're not. There's huh? more names. Oh. Anthony Edwards. Yeah, Ant-Man's got to be on my team. For yeah, fun. of course he does. Joel Embiid. Wait, he's playing for? Yep. He's United yes. States yes. eligible? Yes. So, yes. Can I write it? Can I write down the yes. MVP? Okay. Is Jokic also <laughs> Team USA <laughs> eligible? No. De'Aaron Fox. And Samantha Fox. De'Aaron Fox. Yes. Okay. Paul George. No. Aaron Gordon. No. Tyrese Halliburton. Yes. James Harden. No. Josh Hart. No. Tyler Hero. No. Drew Holiday. Oh. Come on. No. No on Drew Holiday. All right. Chet Holmgren. Yes. Okay. Brandon Ingram. No. Kyrie Irving. No. Jaron Jackson Jr. No. LeBron James. No. I'm kidding. Yes. It's LeBron. <laughs> Cam Johnson. No. Walker Kessler. No. Kawhi Leonard. He doesn't want to be there anyway, so no. What? He doesn't want to be there. He's- all right, he's on the list. Presume he wants to he be doesn't. there. Kawhi doesn't, Kawhi doesn't want to waste his summer in Paris. He's got other things you to can't do. Say, no, 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 no. No. If he, I said no, you're a, sir. You're no, I said no, sir. <laughs> Damian Lillard. Yes. Donovan Mitchell. It's tough, but no. Chris Paul. No, I'm trying to get young. Bobby Portis. <laughs> no. Of course not. Austin Reeves. No. Duncan Robinson. No. Jason Tatum. Yes. Derek White. No. Trey Young. Actually, no. Okay. Well, you need to cut three because you've got 15. So you need to cut three of those among. So Desmond Bain is not on your team. I'm cutting him from your team. Okay. So now you need to cut two more. Can I cut Embiid because he's from no, Cameroon? You cannot cut Embiid. You are fielding a team with Embiid. I'd probably cut Holmgren. He's from Cameroon. I'd cut Holmgren. I'm trying to get younger, so I want Chad Holmgren on the team. All right. Well, here's I've got ten for sure. Booker, Curry, AD, Durant, Edwards, Embiid, Halliburton, James Leonard, and Tatum. That's my ten. So Jalen Brown's not on your team. Not yet. He's in. All right, then I cut Jalen Brown too. J- Jalen Brown. So is I only got in, cut one more. Yeah, Jalen Brown is in my that that cloud of the other guys. Depending on what you want, find find someone on my list to cut. Who I do see, you think I should cut? I would cut Lillard. All 
All right, I'm going to cut Embiid because he's not You're not from cutting the, Joel Embiid. He's not from here. <laughs> but he's eligible. He's choosing How? to play on How the How is team. he eligible? Because <laughs> he he's is. not. It, let, all right, great. Here's my team. Embiid, Jokic, <laughs> Luka. Luka's on my team, Giannis. too. Giannis. <laughs> they're all on my team because they all play in America. I'm just giving you the actual player pool. Hey, I, I like this Holmes guy. He put America first. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you make America great again. I, I like this guy. He said no Embiid because he's not from the he's fine from country here. of the USA. He's putting together a team of migrants. I just I want SGA on my team too, since we're just allowing people to be on Team USA. America first. I thought this was going to be a USA, USA, I, I this USA. Might, this might have been a useful exercise, and instead, <laughs> it was not. You know, I think I'm going to I'm going to side with Lawrence and Ray on this one. And Embiid's out. He's out. No, he's not. He's out. He's through Cam Rude. He should be on the train with Mr. with Mr. Beaks. <laughs> this Bernstein putting him beat on Team USA. I don't know about this guy. Ah, it seems a little skeptical to me. Fine, forget it. I don't think you love this country enough, sir. And no good deed goes unpunished. All right, when we come back, I need to we we have to pay attention to a, a really serious story here, and something horrible that happened in America's heartland, and they still haven't caught the people who did it. They actually found the object of the crime. But I have a legal question that is that I can't answer, but I think would be a fascinating law and order plot line. I've been watching a lot of old law and orders lately. Which it, one, though? Oh, the Benjamin Bratt. Old, old ones. Yeah, law and order actual. Actual. Not Jack, Jack McCoy and a lot of guest appearances from people who would later be on The Sopranos. And folks that end up playing other characters on Correct. Law and Order. Or in, in somewhere now, in the universe. Now yeah. you're a judge. That's interesting. You were just a defendant. Well, but this this is pretty serious stuff, but I actually do have an, a legal question about how this could be prosecuted, but we'll, we'll talk next on The Score. Bernstein and Holmes, your midday destination for Chicago sports talk on 670 The Score. 838 this morning, fire department receives a phone call in reference to a trash can fire here at Garvey Park. Once fire department personnel arrived on scene, they did see a fire a trash can on fire and they extinguished it. Shortly after extinguishing the fire, uh, fire department uh, saw what appeared to be pieces of the Jackie Robinson statue, uh, which is not salvageable at this time. Um, I can tell you that fire department, which all fire departments, uh, arson investigators are investigating the fire aspect of this uh, incident. As far as for the police department, we continue to do our investigation in reference to who took the Jackie Robinson statue or who may have helped in, in part with taking the Jackie Robinson statue. That was Andrew Ford, the Wichita Police Public Information Officer on the recovery of what is left unsalvageable of the bronze Jackie Robinson statue that was stolen from a Kansas park. It's, it was cut off at the feet taken away in a heavy-duty pickup truck, dismantled and burned. They believe the update here, they have the truck. So that's good news, that they're now able to work from whatever evidence that they can get from the truck and try to track down whoever did this. This is McAdams Park, and it was part of a group 
called the called League 42, a nonprofit named after Robinson's number with the Dodgers, which aims to introduce baseball to the youth of Wichita. They are saying that they have the mold for the statue. No matter what happens, they are going to rebuild it, and they are going to put it back up there. So the symbol of hope will only be gone for a short time. They expect that the replacement is going to be a joyous opportunity and a celebration for the reintroduction of the statue. So I don't know what they're going to find from the truck, but they think they've got it. Well, that's good news. And they say they're that they're going to arrest people. That's better news. They said I'm they're confident that they are going to find the people who are responsible. So this is the question I have. And I why are people awful? No, I I know I this is the thing. We know we know what this is. Is extreme racism continuing to be a problem for America overall? Sure, but, but let's ask about the, the, the let's let's say in the next couple of days they 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 get these these a-holes. We know at heart it's obviously a hate crime. It's not random vandalism. And I don't know but I there's no way you can prosecute it as a hate crime because it, there isn't a person who's affected. So what I'm wondering is how do they find a way to make something stick outside of garden variety felony vandalism? He mentioned that they talked about the setting of the fire. So there, there would be an arson charge on there as well. But what I'm wondering, and this is why, as as a law and order case, if you imagine the conversation with the DA, if they could get proof that the people who did this were also racists, which I'm sure won't be hard. I'm sure you go to any social media account or you go into their basement or you just grab their computers and you'll be able to find evidence that they're that it's of of racist intent. That's not going to be hard. But whether or not that constitutes a hate crime against a piece of bronze is probably impossible. What about terrorism? If this were done to instill fear in a community, if this were done specifically as some sort of chilling, like what would be the equivalent? I don't know how a cross burning would be prosecuted. But if there are laws on the books that what would the multipliers be here? Because I want them to be, once they get these guys, I want them, and yeah, I said guys, because I'm going to be right about that. I, I, I want them researching every possible escalator they can find for whatever this can be charged. And who knows what dumb things they might say in interviews. Correct. That might raise the level of the crime. That, and that's what I wonder. If if the guy's like, yeah, if the guy's got like a swastika tattooed to his forehead and he's, you know, he's got his papers that say he's a member of the KKK, would that matter? I don't, I don't think that would rise to, I, he would have to say something. You have to say, we did this because. Yeah. But even if he did, no person was harmed. I'm not even looking at it from the hate crime standpoint. I'm looking at it as the terrorism standpoint i think you'd have a much better chance i'm no lawyer but i think you'd have a much better chance at proving that depending on what you hear in the interviews than you would to to put a hate crime on it unless there's something else attached to this crime that we don't know which is possible i just think when you have this and was it five years ago when 
the Negro Leagues Museum was vandalized. I mean, the other part of it, at least as it pertains to Robinson, is that this is also a guy who was a soldier. And there are a lot of people that sit in that crowd that tell you how much respect they have for people who fought for the country. Jackie Robinson fought for this country in multiple ways, including the way that is that has now been turned into rev like like reverence when it comes to dealing with all of our veterans, except except for when it comes to them being taken care of and the promises that were not fulfilled by multiple administration, both Democratic and Republican. There's a lot of people showing their ass on Twitter. How can you say it's a hate crime? Why don't you let law enforcement do their job? And if it comes out, so be it. What do you think it is, random? Let's find a statue. Oh, the first statue we ran into is that of Jackie Robinson. Let's cut it up and burn it. Come on now. Come on. Come on. The 847 says a hate crime is terrorism. Not by law, necessarily. They're very different. If you're talking about federal charges... If you're talking about federal terror charges. I, I think the biggest the biggest part that, to me, I don't think that this could ever be a hate crime. I do think it can, because we're talking about property instead of people. That's that, and again, not a lawyer, but I think that's the the thing here. It's just my hope that everybody involved is is very, very prepared for when these cretins get picked up and you know exactly what they're going to look like. I do? Yes. What are they going to look like, Dan? They're going to look like the people who tried to abduct the Michigan governor. <laughs> Big Gretch! <laughs> that was that was like central casting. I need five of them. Can I get five? Uh, let's see. Not surprising go. that you'd find they, them in they, Michigan they, either. Oh, no. <laughs> Hell no. Might have met they're everywhere. You can find them anywhere. They're, they're right down here, too. Don't don't think this state's immune from any of that. So well, I'm is, saying that Michigan militiamen is like a thing. Oh yeah, yeah. The hinterlands of Michigan. Yeah, it's a thing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Believe me, I've spent I've spent enough time in Michigan to know. Big Gretch. There's a lot of that, and and in the the, the in Pennsylvania too. Yeah, there's some a lot of interestingly decorated pickup trucks with some. Uh, People are not afraid to, or very excited to broadcast certain messages on their pickup trucks. You mean like with the balls? No, not that. Oh. But that that is a little much. <laughs> like, I always... <laughs> what are you doing today, honey? Well, I need to get my hair cut. I think I got to stop and get fabric softener. And I also have to find rubber testicles to put on the back of my truck. Okay. Texer asks. I'll see you at dinner. <laughs> what kind of dumbass hates Jackie Robinson? Ask your grandparents. Yeah. Are, are you, are you, you really have to ask that question? Ask your grandparents. Maybe don't ask them. Ruby Ridge is still alive. There's a texter for the 815. Someone shut these idiots up. Their virtue signaling is killing me. Yeah, it's virtue signaling to say it's bad to, to cut down the Jackie Robinson statue and, and burn it in a barrel. How is that virtue signaling? Ass wipe? Blocked. 
We had him back in the other segment, kicking him beat off the team. Yeah, he was right yeah, there. Yeah, he was with all us. excited. Yeah, he's like, finally, I found the sports show for me. Yeah, get that Cameroonian off the team. Wait a second, they're also against burning the Jackie Robinson statue. You I- mean they were kidding? I thought I liked this show. Kaylin Kaler is going to join us next. She's at the Senior Bowl, and she'll talk football with us on The Score. Yay! The Score! They'll break huddle. They'll be in the victory formation. It's fourth and 11. Purdy is under center. He takes the snap. He backpedals a step. Zero's on the clock. It's over. The sideline's empty. With the comeback for the ages, the 49ers are going back to the Super Bowl. That's Westwood One, Kevin Harlan on the final call. And here to talk football is one of our favorite football folks who is currently covering the Senior Bowl. Kalen Kaler is on Twitter at Kalen Kaler, the senior NFL writer for The Athletic, is with us on the score hotline presented by Circa Sports Illinois. Well, set the scene for us. Are there these are the some for some better than the game itself, the individual drills. Hey guys, how are you? Hey, good. Are so are you actually at the uh at the drills at the moment? Yeah, so I actually stepped out of the um I mean, I'm still in the stadium. I'm like on the walkway outside, but there are yeah, there are individual drills going on. The the practice before this, we're on the second practice. This is um the American team now. The national team actually had the more interesting players as far as quarterbacks go. Um it was Bo Nix and Michael Penix. Um and Sam Hartman and obviously Bo Nix and Michael Penix are here sort of battling for, uh, you know, the three or four quarterback spot or, or the five or six spot. Um, and so they actually do have something to be here for, you know, to kind of battle each other to be that, that quarterback taken after your top, um, your top four, which is probably, uh, you know, Caleb, obviously Drake May, uh, Jane Daniels and JJ McCarthy. So these two are here. And I, I was kind of surprised that they're here because they both played for so long in college, Bo Nix has the record number of starts for a college quarterback. I think it was 61 starts, if I remember correctly. So I was kind of surprised that they're here because you usually see players who, like, you know, maybe haven't played that much who are small school guys who want to be here. But I think those two are sort of battling each other to prove to scouts, you know, which one is better. So um, it was interesting to see them see them throw a little bit in the first practice. When it comes to being down there, what's what do you feel like is the biggest takeaway from from these guys having this opportunity senior bowl week? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's interesting. Like, I'm looking at a couple things while I'm here. Um, you know, Bo, Bo Nix and Michael Penix are really interesting quarterbacks. I wrote about this last year, how NIL had basically depleted the quarterback stock in last year's draft when you got to the later rounds. Because both of those guys would have been about mid mid to late round picks last year. And they both decided to come back to college partially because, you know, they weren't going to be that high of picks, but also they were really enticed by the amount of NIL money that they could get. And so I actually would love to, maybe in about like three years, I think it'd be right to do a study to see, okay, of these quarterbacks who stayed in college longer, like, like Bo Nix and Michael Penix, who both transferred in their careers and both played, you know, past the four-year mark and, and past, you know, the, I don't know what the average probably for a quarterback in the NFL, but a lot of them play less than three seasons. And so I'd love to look and see, are these guys more successful because, 
are they more successful? Are they able to hit the ground running better in the NFL than others because they stayed longer? And then, you know, what is going to be the long-term effect of NIL? I think it's actually really good for developing better and more pro-ready quarterbacks because, you know, they have all these reasons to stay. I think that that's really interesting. I, I talked with an NFL front office person who said that one of the things that they are looking for is the amount of starts just because it's hard to get reps, you know, because so yeah. many so many people will come out if they're if they're a top prospect after their third year, they'll come out and they'll, they'll explore the draft. So that's a that's a really interesting way to kind of look this at this. This happened and, with basketball. We went through this with basketball, and and this this was the whole idea of having the G League and G League Ignite and yeah. saying, look, the college isn't for everybody, but you got to play, and and the yeah. playing matters. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I think it's really – I think these two guys are really interesting. Obviously, Michael Penix has an injury history that's concerning. Um, you know, so Bo Nix is probably likely the guy above Michael, but I think they're both um, – I don't know. I think they're both really interesting players, and I do think that there is definitely something to be said for getting starting experience in college because, as you said, like there are so such limited reps in the NFL. And bringing back the emergency third quarterback rule, which they did this past offseason – which allows you to have that third quarterback dress and they don't count against your active roster for um, game day unless you end up, you, it, you know, and you can activate them if your first two quarterbacks go down. That was important, I think, for like continuing development of that third quarterback on NFL rosters. Um, but not every team is utilizing that. I don't know. I, I still need to look this up to see how many teams actually use that rule change this year, but it definitely wasn't um, more than half. I would say it was probably about half the teams or less. And, I was kind of surprised by that because I felt like, you know, it's a no-brainer to do that. But, you know, it's roster math. You, you can't always use that spot for a quarterback. Um, but I do think that will help long-term in the NFL in terms of the development. And then, obviously, the spring lead, um, XFL or whatever it's called now, the merger with the USFL, that is also going to be really helpful, I think, for those guys who just need to play. Yeah, the UFL is now United the United Football League. They're, they're now, they're okay, now United in their football and their league and <laughs> And, and all of the what other stuff. Well, what did you take away from Championship Sunday? Yeah, um, my big takeaway was it seems like the two teams that lost um, lost in completely different ways, which was interesting. So, like, and what I mean by that is, like, the Lions lost, but they they lost in their own style. Like, Dan Campbell stayed very true to his offensive philosophy, went for it on fourth down, and we could argue those for years to come, whether he should have or shouldn't have. But I personally agreed with the decisions and I respected it because, you know, you don't want to change what you want to do as a coach just because, you know, you're in this moment of the, you know, NFC championship game and, you know, you think you need a field goal. I mean, that field goal was not, was not a given, um, you know, this, that kicker's range, you know, his, his record was 48 yard plus wasn't great. So there were a lot of factors that made those decisions make sense. And I did argue, actually, Daniel, appreciate this with my dad back and forth for a long time about those fourth down decisions. He was very against it. Um, but anyway, so the Lions lost, but in their own style, like they stayed true to their identity. And then I felt like the Ravens lost was they just looked like such a different offense. The fact that they only ran the ball six times was just crazy to me because they had been you know, running the ball. I think the game before uh, the AFC Championship game, they ran the ball 31 times. So that it was just such a huge drop-off, and I felt like they really changed their game, and they didn't look like themselves. So that was kind of my takeaway. These two teams that lost just 
had totally opposite styles of that. There were identity issues, and we had a guest yesterday, Dan Weederer, who said that the AFC game turned into a, a belief game, that when the Chiefs started doing what they were doing, all of a sudden the status of the Ravens as the number one seed or it's like they was their year. It's like all of a sudden they started to question themselves, and the play calling reflected a, a concern about were they really who they, who they were all year. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I don't know, I mean, I think all of us were probably rooting for Lions Ravens, honestly, because it was just different. It would have just been different and um, interesting. But I don't know. I think we do need to just appreciate. I mean, I I thought to myself, like, I need to be better at appreciating greatness in Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, you know, and Travis Kelsey, like, while we have it, like, everyone makes the Michael Jordan comparisons with Patrick Mahomes, but it's like, this is literally, this is, this is a really interesting time that we get to experience with Patrick Mahomes. And it's just like, it felt like this was the year for anyone else in the AFC to take it. And the Bills couldn't take it and the Ravens couldn't take it. And so, you know, I don't think it's, I think it's kind of flawed to think like, oh, this was the only opportunity. Like this was the weakest. We're going to see the Chiefs. Like no one else is going to ever be able to win the AFC. Like we will see someone else, Um, you know, Joe Burrow, obviously the Bengals have done it, Um, you know, but, we will see someone else. Someone else's time will come, but it does just feel like this Chiefs team is just unstoppable right now. Yeah, the inevitability of Patrick Mahomes, that's what yeah. I think is is the the comp to Jordan, where if you if you look yeah. at look at all the guys that thought that they were in position to to take his place, whether it was Barkley or or Patrick Ewing or Reggie Miller, and then they were just sitting there with nothing at the end of it, mm-hmm. be, because of it, like that's what's so scary about what we're seeing with Patrick Mahomes is that he he is able to, in some cases, will a win. Like he makes even the throw at the end of the game, like the, the throw to, to Valdez-Scantling at the end of the game is, is such beautiful poetry considering yep. how angry he was and how angry the world was at Valdez-Scantling for not making catches earlier in the season. Right. Yeah, that, I mean, when you see – um, MVS like making game changing plays like that when he was silent for the year and for most of his career it's just like okay like what are you gonna do um, that's yeah really impressive and then his trainer um, I can't remember Patrick's trainer's name it's like Bobby something Bobby Stroop maybe he tweeted a really interesting video a cut up of I don't remember exactly which play it was but oh the um, the, the training that he does you know to, yeah the yes. one where he's he's bent he's doing and, like a back bend yeah. yeah. He's doing like a bridge, like back bend position with like a weight, and then he's just doing it against the wall. And literally, there was a play where he's the Ravens are trying to sack him, and they could not bring him down. And he basically twisted himself out of a sack. Uh, And because of this like bridge position, it was the exact same position that he like drills every day. And I just thought that was like so impressive because. You know, I don't know if any quarterbacks are mimicking that in their training as well, but, you know, Patrick's training is kind of weird and different like that. And so I just thought that was so, such a cool side by side comparison of like how what you do in your training with weird body positions and flexibility and like especially back flexibility, how that then appeared in the game. So, Dan, if, if, I know that you had, you didn't check it out, but this was all like in the quarterback documentary where we yeah. got to see Patrick Mahomes' training regimen, and it's it's the stuff that he does when he leaves the facility. 
It's part of the reason why, like, I really, really like him is that it's clear that he is obsessed with winning, and it, you're you're the most talented guy in the league, and you're willing to also be one of the hardest workers. That's a hell of a combination. Yeah, absolutely, and it was just so it was just so cool to see that um, come to life in that way. And like, I didn't think that quarterback documentary was very interesting, except for probably that part. <laughs> like, just just the weird training. The rest of it was kind of boring. Yeah, but that I, was that was a good insight. I enjoyed the the inside stuff that we could see, like with with Kirk Cousins, like how he was getting himself medically prepared. Um, yeah. it, it ended up making me like Kirk Cousins more than I want to like Kirk Cousins. Yeah, but, totally. but, you, but you're right. Like there, the Mahomes stuff to me was the most interesting because you want to see how does this guy make it work and seeing all the, the extra stuff and the, the different like plyometric type things that he's trying to do after he leaves the, the chiefs facility is just really cool to see him busting it like and that. And you got the trainer's name yeah. right, Kaylin. It is Bobby Stroop. Oh, is indeed, oh my God. Is I, indeed the name. Memory poll. Very yeah. good. Not, right not to be confused um, with Bobby Troop, the jazz pianist <laughs> and who played doctor early on emergency. But that's not what you're called. Um, I did want to tell you guys, Carrie Joseph is here. Obviously, um, the new uh, quarterbacks coach for Chicago. Uh-huh. He is coaching on the field right now, and I said hello to him before this practice started, and I was like, hey, you're going to be a really popular guy after this practice because, uh, you know, you're just going to get sworn by the Chicago contingent who's here. Um, so stay tuned for that. What do you want me to ask him? I, I want to know what his his philosophy is in quarterback development. Like, what are the things that he thinks are important yeah. when, when it comes to bringing a quarterback along? That's actually – that was literally obviously on my list. So we're on the same – we're on the same wavelength. Um because I did wonder, I mean, I still am not entirely sure what the Shane Waldron hire means in terms of Caleb Williams. Um, you know, there is the connection there that's been reported about the quarterback collective, uh, him coaching through the quarterback collective and Caleb participating them in that previously. But, um, yeah, I'm trying to ask around here just kind of like what people around the league sort of I, think of the Waldron hire in terms of Caleb. I also want to know whether – coaches offensive coaches overall whether they lean more towards the the draft pick has to play or the draft pick has to sit i think that we had kind of moved towards the draft pick has to play and now i wonder if there is some value in the draft pick should sit and learn for a while i know it's player dependent but but it's something that i am curious about yeah i really wanted to I requested the. I tried to request to the Packers to get anybody within their personnel department who was involved with the Jordan Love draft, um, just to talk about that and like how that has turned out so well for them, and just to talk in general about like their practice of patience um, in in sitting the quarterback for several seasons before they start to play them, because you know obviously not every franchise has the luxury of doing that, and the biggest hindrance to that is that if you're drafting a quarterback high enough, like you're usually in a situation where everyone's about to be fired. So people are trying to save their job. And I think that's, you know, the benefit that the Chiefs, when they got Mahomes and the Packers, when they got Jordan Love, like not only did they have a good starting quarterback, in the Packers' case, a very elite Hall of Fame-worthy one, um, you know, but they didn't have, they weren't doing it in a situation where the coaching staff was about to be fired. So they did have the luxury of being patient. And I think that was so important 
um, you know, with Patrick and Jordan, who I, you know, you can always think hypothetically, would they be the same players if they had to play as rookies? And, you know, one, we're not going to know the answer to that. Uh, but we are, we know from Jordan Love two years ago when he had to start for Aaron Rodgers when Aaron had COVID um, in Kansas City, he did not look good in that game. And that was two years in, I believe, to his career. So I don't think he was quite ready then to take this role. Um, so there is a little bit of a sample size, I guess, with Jordan since he did have to come in and play. But, um, yeah, it's a, really, it's a really interesting question to ask, and I think everyone here is going to have a different opinion on it. Kaylin, what's the significance of the Lions' Ben Johnson staying put and not leaving for a head yeah. coaching position? So I actually didn't know that. that I, since I was here at practice, I'm not really on my phone because I'm, like, trying to talk to people in person, and I was talking with an agent um, Actually, I was talking with Jared Goff's agent when that happened, and he was like, oh, my God, Ben Johnson is staying. And obviously that's great for Jared. Like, that's incredible for Jared because those two have a really good relationship and obviously work really well together. And I don't I, – I mean, has it was it reported like he turned down the job? No, no. It had just been reported that, that he had said that he was going to stay. Like, staying? They're, okay. they're, the conversation yeah. now is – whether or not he was actually going to get one okay. of those jobs and yeah. did that play a role in him staying in Detroit? So interesting. I mean, I thought he was a lock for Washington. I thought it was a really good fit and also like an opportunity where like I can see why he didn't want to go to the Panthers last year. Like that makes sense. But mm-hmm. like this year, Washington has a new owner who appears to be competent so far. I mean, it's, it's early still, but he appears to like want to spend money and do things and like, you know, they're, they're going to be in a position to get a quarterback. Um, felt like that was a good opportunity that he wouldn't want to say no to, but I don't know. He also is a very, he is a very analytical person as we know from his like math background and also the way he coaches and what everything his players have said about him. So it actually doesn't surprise me that he would turn if he, if he, I mean, if he was going to get the job or if he was still in contention and he just decided to walk away, that doesn't surprise me because he is super thoughtful about things and like would be the type of person who isn't just going to rush into a head coaching job. And we saw that last year when he, you know, took himself out of a, out of contention as well. So I don't know. I think larger, the larger point is that I think Detroit, I mean, for them to keep this coaching staff together, like if Aaron Glenn also stays, like that's going to be, really big for them to bring back all the coordinators and head coach. Like I think they'll definitely be a favorite to get back to at least the NFC title game and hopefully go further if they can bring everybody back. Because if you think about Philadelphia last year, they lost their coordinators, both coordinators. And it hurt. And everything, yeah, like everything went wrong this season. So if Detroit can bring back both coordinators and I mean, that, that staff works so well together. The players are so bought in there. They, I, I would expect them, you know, to just be even better. You know, I think they they could they could stand to add some pieces on defense and maybe another receiver. Josh Reynolds is a free agent, but um, I think they're going to sign Jared Goff to an extension pretty soon here, and then they're going to be back in business. Kalen, we'll let you get back to scouting and journalizing amidst everybody there. You're <laughs> you're among your people, so uh, go enjoy. Thanks so much. Thanks, guys. Bye. That's Kaylin Kaler of The Athletic, senior NFL writer. She does a wonderful job. She is really building quite the resume, and it's great to see. 
when we come back, the response, I always say don't miss a mailbag. Never miss a mailbag. And in his subscription newsletter, Joe Sheehan often does a mailbag where he takes pointed criticism from his readers. And they say, hey, wait a second, Sheehan. I read this and I have a problem with it. Yeah. So he responds. Because remember, I brought you his take on what he calls the Snellinger principle regarding both Blake Snell and Cody Bellinger. And he doesn't is, want the Cubs to have Cody Bellinger. Not true. But he said never sign. So he was just pointing out landmines in a contract. Never sign somebody to a deal that is longer than the number of really good years that they've already had. And some of his readers came back and said they needed some clarifications and thought he was trying to play it both ways. Yeah. And he responded to that criticism. So I With some gobbledygook. We would revisit that next on The Score. You, 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 Bernstein and Holmes. Middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score. I think the world of Cody, obviously he had a great year here and even beyond having a great year for us. Um, he really ingratiated himself well with the city, the fan base, the players. And the players really think highly of him and he knows uh, that I think highly of him. So uh, none, of that, none of that's changed at all. That's Jed Hoyer, the Cubs president of baseball operations on still unsigned free agent Cody Bellinger. I saw another quote from him where he said, you, you can always sign anybody whenever you want if you pay what the agent's asking for, and then you run out of money real fast. I think that was in Paul Sullivan's piece. But, yeah, I mean, they're not going to really They're run not out running of money. out of money. They're there never, ain't no salary cap. They're never going to run out of money. He may run out of his budgeted money, but the guy who is actually bankrolling the money isn't going to run out for Cody Bellinger. But he gave us a couple of weeks ago the Snellinger principle. And that was this idea of don't sign anybody to a deal for a longer term than the total number of good years the player has had, which is an interesting starting point. And then you raised the response, well, wait a second, then why do we care if there's bad money on the back end of the deal? That's the owners can handle that there. And like you said, there is no salary cap. So where does this put you as what you're asking your team to do? So, the cool thing about Joe is he's all he always will respond to reader pushback. And his readership is made up of a very smart subset of baseball fans that is always going to be incredibly critical and is always pushing back on it. And actually, yeah. And the segment here says Snellinger pushback. This was and, and some of these people actually when I read these might be listeners to the show might have even heard our discussion. So, Joe, you're trying to have it both ways. You're constantly saying that middle-tier free agents are not where you should spend your money. And I agree. You advocate spending real money in the top tier. Then you blast half the league for not playing in the sandbox when this year's free agent crop was incredibly thin. What are you asking teams to do? It's about defending the Pirates or the A's, but if you're almost as hard on the Royals for venturing into the market as you were on other teams, the teams have realized the dangers of the aging curve. The free agent system's broken unless they change the structure. And what Sheehan says is, I get your point, but he said the various principles I espouse work in parallel with the criticism of the team sitting this winter out, is you couldn't be more right about free agency, which the MLBPA doesn't seem to get. Another reader. You're giving me whiplash, Joe. Last week you made a case that it would be ridiculous to sign Cody Bellinger to the kind of contract he's reported likely to get. But then you say he's an athletic, young, potential five-win player who's the Giants' only path to salvation. 
How do I reconcile these conflicting takes? Yeah, why don't you answer that question, Sheehan? He says, I see the dissonance. The catch is the standings matter, and you have to try to win games even if you're doing it inefficiently. The specific intersection of Bellinger and the Giants would make me willing to sign him. If there's an eight-year deal out there for him, good for him. And I believe everything I've written about the principles that should guide a team's decisions are just that. They're just not laws. An 80 and 82 team isn't as good as an 85 and 77 team, even if it returns more wins per dollar spent. So here is another response. Giants are still on my list. That's right. We haven't said that yet. So here's where uh, he says, I'm all for my team spending money inefficiently to chase wins. If it's not my money, why do I care? And Joe says there's a strain of fandom that roots for the owner's wallets and a parallel one that thinks winning on a lower payroll is someone more, more somehow more moral than winning on a higher one. I'm not taking either position. I'm measuring this as if a team is getting better. So there were some a very specific Cub fan who says, this is George, who says, it's funny. You write this reasoned, well-thought-out piece, and at the end of it, I, a Cubs fan, think, yeah, but I still hope the Cubs sign Cody Bellinger. Odds are, if they do, it'll be a disaster, unless the price is relatively low, but I liked watching him play last year. I don't see how it could be a disaster. He says, and I hope they keep him around. It, It might, at the end of the deal, not be great, but I don't foresee it being a disaster. He says fans should never care about war per dollar or risk profiles. There's a chance Bellinger's a new guy, and even if he's not, he could help a team that needs the on-base percentage and has some room at his positions. He made a lot of Cubs fans happy last year. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't cost you anything. It's a write-off for an insanely wealthy family. But then, then he adds, Blake Snell is the only guy who I don't want. I think he could actively hurt a team. Everyone else is just gradations of risk and reward. So he, I, but I say, I think he's still trying to have it both ways a little bit. I yes, think, he is. I think the warning of landmine bad deal, where the Bellinger situation is different. The only way it's a disaster is if bad Bellinger shows up. Yes, the Bellinger that had the Bellinger that the Dodgers didn't want, and bad Bunny. The and bad baby. No, but you have to pronounce it like the way all baseball players do when they mention their Balboni. Baby. Balboni. Balboni. Which to me sounds like Steve Balboni. Every, everybody answers, what, what kind of music do you listen to? Balboni. Balboni. So I, I get the way he's explaining these things on really narrow sort of intellectual paths here. But either the understanding of the fan's perspective of get me a player I like who I think is good. Or owners should be very careful as to how they spend because some of these contracts can be disastrous for them. I'm tired of these owners being careful. Well, that's part of the problem. But Spend, spend, spend. If bad Bellinger shows up, that's a disaster because he's not a major league player. That version of Cody Bellinger. Defensively, he still is, though. At first, probably the center field has dropped off. We looked at some of those. He's still a major league defender. Correct. At both positions. Correct. And maybe he gives you some on base percentage if he's not giving you the hard hit and giving you the slug. But I, I, you know, I didn't actually look at the defensive numbers when he was underwater as a, as a a warp number. 
I don't know what the component I'll, – I'll check. I didn't know if there was a negative defensive component in the war number on that, whether or not bad Bellinger was also bad defensive Bellinger. Bad Bon. And bad Boney. What's, what's bad baby up to these days? You still catching people outside? How about that? Who's who, She's probably not even 20 yet. That was like 15 years ago. I don't think it? so. I think she might be 20, 21 years old. I don't even remember her actual name. It doesn't matter. Her new name is Rich. Like she's gotten real rich off of that. And her rap career. She's not that bad. So 2021 Bellinger, who is, a, who is a negative one war player, that's when he batted 165 on base 240, slugged 302 at WRC plus of 47. He was a negative defensive player that year. Oh. And he was a negative defensive player last year. I, I forgot that you had to spell it with extra letters. What, bad baby? B-H-A-D. Bad? Dan, she's 20. That's Cash Me Outside, how about that? Yep, she's 20 years old. And she's about to have a baby. Oh, baby. Wait, so she actually had a career as a rapper? She still does. She's making a lot of money. Okay. That's right. You come up with a catchphrase. Oh, apparently she's made millions on OnlyFans. So? Okay. Quit kink shaming. Why not? Let her make that money on OnlyFans. Go get it, baby. I'm not mad. I mean, you know, lohosfeet.com is doing real well, too. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm, I'm, that's, that's, that's going to be my ticket to, to riches. Lohosfeet.com? No, it, it's an OnlyFans. Dan's a day one investor. It's just me and my ripped underpants. <laughs> Doing cryptic crossword puzzles. Hey, that could. There's somebody into that. There's tons of people that are probably into that that you don't even know. Did you guys see that video? Was it Tyra Banks and she was sitting there with a couple of furries? And at first, she was like into it. She was at a game. She was like courtside at a game. And there was like a couple of furries like sitting next to her. And then she was like, ha ha ha. And then they didn't leave. They just kept sitting next to her. Okay. Hysterical. Like the like, the change in the look like on her not, face. This isn't a bit. We, yeah, these, we're sitting here. Yeah, these are our seats. With you. We're not mascots. We're people who like to dress up as animals. Damn it. Nothing wrong with that. 708 hat tip. You don't have to be lonely at lohosfeet.com. Yeah! You don't have to be lonely. <laughs> I wonder how Terry's Farmers Only profile ended up doing. Because we put them on there back in the day. I'm sure, like, it's, it's rough in these streets, Dan. Like, people are trying to do whatever they got to do. Whoa, look out. Ducks. Whoa. Isn't there a new show, like, like Farmer Needs yeah. a Hose Bag or something? And that's not what it's called. No. It's Farmer Needs a Wife. I believe it's in, like, season three. Oh. And the shocking but part was that there was, a, it was, a, there was one black farmer. <laughs> E-I-E-I-O. Yeah. <laughs> burning cross here and a burning cross there. <laughs> They know who said it. Y'all said it. Yes, they deserve to die. And I hope they burn in hell. You heard it. This show's supposed to be fun sometimes. And you don't have to be lonely with FarmersOnly.com. If that's what you're into, maybe you want to do something else. City Boys is up like 100 million right now. 
City boy, city boy. <laughs> another another texter. I trust him because he's a farmer. Because he's a farmer. Then you can go out and date with him because he's a farmer. Trust him. I will say, though, if you are going to marry a farmer, you better be ready to be married to a farmer, which means that you are also a farmer. Because you're going to be farming. No, that's that's this is a family business. Up at the crack of dawn every day. Studs knows. He doesn't have to be on FarmersOnly.com anymore. <laughs> Did you get up to slop the hogs? No, I didn't. Oh. So to speak. I didn't, have you, ho- you, I didn't live on a there, farm. Well, you sounded actually, like you were coming from... SlopTheHogs.com is also another... Mm-hmm. The other guy, site. Guy I went to high school with grew up on a farm. He had to get up every day and do work before school. Yeah, it's all in, in Downstate Sudzinski's podcast... <laughs> Farm Adjacent. The Farm Adjacent Farm podcast adjacent. with Downstate Sunzinski. Is that also on House of L? I'm, I don't know because we've got so many podcasts. Farm Adjacent I don't know. with studs. <laughs> I, could, I could probably do a series. Farm Adjacent like a short is series. coming up. Farm Adjacent of all the stupid little co- country things I saw growing up. It's well, Cody Westerland was a farmer. What? Cody grew up not too far from me. Cody, he was like a 4-H champion. He raised a prize pig. I'm not making this up. Well, next time we talk to him, we got to get some prize pig stories. No, he did. Like he he was he was big into like award winning 4H don't stuff. Don't believe Dan for a second, not for one second. And let me just can I, I'm gonna look right into the camera too. Don't believe Dan for one second. He took a one look at Cody's zip code, and he has made this entire backstory. That's not true on Cody. That is not true at all. He he was a 4-H champion. Nope. He was I, like Napoleon Dynamite and, drinking the milk and knowing that it would walk through And let me onions. guess, Dan, I grew up in a tap dancing family, right? <laughs> Every day I'm shuffling. I'm telling you, ask Cody and about- And raising a mariachi man. See, this is- this Why is you what? profiling me, Dan? Ask- yeah. Why are you profiling everybody? What if Cody is like, no, I, I grew up in downtown Chicago. No, he, he didn't. No, he grew up. He I, grew went to, up I went to Jones. What are you talking about? And I grew up as a usurious moneylender. He grew up like two hours from me. He grew up, he grew up in central Illinois. So Dan's story could be right. He could be making the 4-H part up right. Part it, up, it's, but it's, it's probably. It's all possible. I'm saying is that it's probably not true. How long did ask him? How long did Dan think Chris Tannehill was black? For forever. Just light skin. For forever. Well, I'm just saying. Don't take don't take anything this man says about the activities of the people here at the score seriously. However, I also think Cody Westerland's black. So, So it is I'm at least consistent in that regard. That's why they pigeonholed him in our NBA coverage. Wait, didn't you also think Kevin Lapko was black? Was that you? Yes, it was him. It was him. Even after hearing the name Lapka. This guy. Lapka saw me running yesterday. He texted me. Was he stalking you? I don't know. He just texted me. He said, I think I saw you running on Foster. Then then that would be a, a matchup I'd like to see. You guys in a straight line race. Oh, he would kill me. You think so? How far are we going? What? Tell me the distance where you feel. If comfortable. we're doing a five k, I think I can beat him. Okay. If we're doing, I mean, like, if you're if doing a marathon, you can definitely beat yeah, him. If we're doing like anything under like a hundred meters or less, he's going to destroy me. Okay. Quick twitch. Like a hundred yard, hundred yard sprint, he would destroy. That's me. why Dan thinks he's black. 
He's fast. I, I, I definitely think he can't play Kevin quarterback. Black. He certainly shouldn't play quarterback. I think they have to move him to defensive back. He's too mobile. He's, he's, got, you, he's got good feet. Move him to wide receiver. If you really think about it, he's more of a running back than a quarterback. And then that caller found out that Kevin Lapka, good bloodlines. Good bloodlines. That's, Should be the Bears starting quarterback. I think Studs and Cody Westerland took the Jackie Robinson statue. <laughs> the C! The C! Oh, hold on. <laughs> See, that's not right. Don't, don't put that on me. They're going to get to that pickup truck and they're going to look at it. Here. I don't <laughs> think that any of that's true. I never want to pick up truck a day in my life. The stuff about Cody and the pig is true. I still like who, the... who do you have that confirmed by? Cody. Did he say it to yes. you? Has he texted it yes. and said that it's true? He he doesn't need to text. You to ask him. Ask I him. I don't know. I still like the idea that there is a podcast and it's the Farm adjacent podcast with Downstate Studzinski and now co-hosted by Prize Pig Westerland. I like it. Get on it. How is his nickname not Pig? It is we now. should be calling him Pig. I want to know the. I don't know the name of the pig. It's because you made it up. I didn't make it up. I'm telling you, guys got blue ribbons, and then it's probably the best bacon they ever had in your life. So we ate him after he yeah, won all the prizes his, with him? What, what do you think you get the prize? raise him to slaughter him? Yes, he That's did. his buddy. He raised him to, yes, they did. What do you think they do? Who they, are the, who, thought they lived happily when, ever when after. When you say they, Dan, pig exactly farmers. what do you mean? What, what do you think that the pig farmers are raising pigs? I'm so glad to go, that he said to, farmer because it sounded like he was going to say something else. You think pig farmers are raising pigs so they can romp Gaily in the field? I thought it was a whole tale where no. he brought the pig to the big city and it was all happy. And then the pig talked. I saw that movie and it was great. Babe Pig in the City. That's it. No, this this pig was fattened up, slaughtered, and magically. You don't know that. Well, then what else would they do with it? They, they brought it to Dress the city it up and, and talk to people. In lovely little outfits. It became friends with a spider. I don't know. Some pig. That'll do, pig. That'll do. Back after this is the score. Bernstein and Holmes. Middays 10 to 2. On Sports Radio 670 The Score. And 670thescore.com. In Odyssey Station. Join 670 to score and Circus Sports Illinois for the big game party on Sunday, February 11th at Benchmark in Old Town. Mullion Haw, Bernstein Holmes and Rahimi, Parkinson Spiegel broadcasting live. All of us from 12 to 3 getting you ready for the big game between Kansas City and San Francisco. You must have at least $100 in your Circa Sports Illinois app to attend. Doors open at noon. Live entertainment. Complimentary game day bites. Go to CircaSports.com to sign up for the invite and for more info. And also, don't forget the Rewind feature on the app. That Richard Deitch interview was great. You should go back and listen. Use the Rewind feature. Download the Odyssey app. Search 670 to score. Tap earlier today to get started. All right, we have an update. What's the update? What's the update from Cody? All right, so Cody texted me during the break, and he said, Dan is correct. I was in 4-H for several years, and one of my pigs won a blue ribbon at the county fair one time. Award-winning is a real stretch considering it was a small-town America and multiple blue ribbons were handed out from what I recall. He then said the pigs did go to slaughter. Oh. Yes. 
They, they, it's so nice. They go to slaughter. Where are you going today? Oh, I think I'll get my nails done and then go to slaughter. All right, we'll have fun at slaughter. We'll see you later. And Slayer. <laughs> storybook, goes, storybook ending ruined. They went to slaughter, and then they went to Slayer. And those good shows. Speaking of which, Parkinson Spiegel are next. <laughs> yeah! They're next on the score. Rock out with your score. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission.